at the end of Draw Your World, I talked about um, how, you know, an artist has never arrived at some place because once you think you've arrived, then you want to get somewhere else. You know, there's never, there's never an end. And I think that that's how life should be because what, if you get to the end point, then what do you do, you know? Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Chen. A question. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what kind of podcast would you make? Today's episode features Samantha Dion Baker, a New York-based artist, illustrator, and educator, as well as the author of the books Draw Your Day and Draw Your World. It is the first episode I've recorded since my summer break, making this the first recording in almost two months. Apologies, so, for any accidental oversights. Long-time listeners will notice a subtle shift in programming in this episode and also in the ones ahead. The time on hiatus has given me many new ideas to explore and many new rabbit holes to jump down. I am excited to take you with me. Sam was a successful artist, illustrator, and graphic designer already before she started a daily sketchbook practice. Why did she feel the need to do this? We talk about the sketchbook as an intensely personal space, as well as how it becomes a public exhibit in times of social media. We talk about how social media has infiltrated every aspect of human thought and what that means for being an artist. Does contentment come from within? Should it? Should an artist not seek the validation of their audience? Is art a solitary pursuit? At what point does the outside world, consisting of your audience and fans and critics and patrons, come into the metaphorical picture? If you were alone on a deserted island, why would the concept of art even occur to you? This summer has been really strange. It's gone very slowly and then suddenly very quickly. I don't know how your experience of it has been. Actually, uh, your your son just went to university, right? Yeah, my older son, yeah. And I think it's just, it's made me think about time in like every way, immediate time and sort of long-term, short-term, just all of it. How, how do you mean? Like, as a, par- a parent, you know, well, because, you know, I li- just look, we get, you know, now we get these photo memories on my, on, I guess probably everyone gets them, but they get fed to me every day, these memories. And I have so many photos. I have like 50,000 photos on my iCloud. Um, I just, photography is like one of the ways I express and, and, store memories and then also I work from photographs a lot which we can get into um and so I just I just have a million photographs and so every day it's like that 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 feels like yesterday but it also feels like a lifetime ago you know I said that in my stories I shared um an old photo of me with my boys when they were tiny you know what my little one was a baby and Ian was probably like four 
So it's just ta- time and I don't know. And then, and yeah, it, everything's going by faster now. That's so true. So, and these, these photo memories yeah. are actually very uh, curious, like exactly what you mentioned that you are never really in the time you are because every day you get a reminder of yourself five years ago or seven years ago or 10 years ago. And maybe yeah. it's because they're all photos on the phone that it just feels like like it just happened. I know, exactly. And and something about the technology these days, it's making everything blend together and, and maybe causing time to go by quicker because we're just not really in the moment as much. We're sort of staring at these devices and everything's... I, I, I'm sure there's some relation because time isn't really going by faster. It just feels like it is. This is such a this is such a good point, and it it's a very important subject to me. Like I read about this subject a lot, and I was read I was thinking just idly some months ago about how we measure time. Like now uh, we're we're in this super productive age where everything is by the hour, and we know exactly what we would even if we don't do it, like we know what we should be doing every minute of the day. Everything is kind of sort of accounted for. But in this process, we don't really pay attention to the individual moments as they slip by. So I was reading this book, uh, incidentally, about time and the passage of time. And it was talking about how in, so before clocks, before watches, before the strict idea that it's a 24-hour day, how did people measure time passing by? And the basic Mm. measurement of time passing by was that things change over time. So the more you notice things changing, the more time has passed. And the less you notice them, the less you have a sense of time passing. And Mm. I was trying to bring that into today's time. And I was thinking that we have all these clocks and we have all these different things that remind us what the time is. But because of that, we spend so much of our time not really noticing our world. And so the passage of time feels like it just happened. It just happened so quickly. I don't know where the time went, as the saying goes. Yeah. It's fascinating, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how. I don't if you sit and just look at something. Does it change? You know, immediately. I mean, certain things do. Something will move across you, you know, some something will the light will change or but but you know just it's it's amazing too how now we can record an amazing amount of time passing in just 30 seconds and so you know something that might take like a flower blooming that might it might take have taken you know I don't know 24 hours it now happens in 30 seconds or 10 seconds and so I wonder, you know, way back when, before all this technology, if you just sat and watched, <laughs> if you would actually see, you know, could just sit and watch a flower bloom, yeah. sit in the same place for 20, you know, for 10 hours. That would be, well, I mean, imagine that now. I mean, that just feels like the biggest waste of time. Yeah. But even this notion that, you know, uh, etc. things are a waste of time. And, you know, the notion that we should be doing things that are a good use of our time. It's such a modern notion and it puts us under so much. Actually, this segue is nicely into the whole business of making a drawing, you know, so many. I was just looking through your book and like 
so many people you mentioned, they wouldn't do it because they think they're not good at it. And doing things you're not good at is a waste of your time. And you would rather be using mm -hmm. your time in more, quote unquote, productive ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, j just sitting and looking at something and drawing it is actually amazing way to spend time now because it's not something that we ever do. Even if you are good at it, whether you're good at it or not, just to sit and look and take the time to look and see and see the shapes and see the light and see the curves and all the little details. Even, you know, we're just all in a rush, so we just don't do it. And it's it's an amazing thing. Don't even have to draw it. I mean, even if you're... I mean, and photo, photography is an interesting uh, example here because... It is so quick and immediate, but, you know, if you really take the time to stop and find the perfect angle or find the perfect light or find, you know, that perfect detail, what you want to focus on, that can bring you to, to the moment, you know, in the moment as well. Um, and then, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting too. I, I've always said as I work, I work for myself. I, I work, you know, in the studio here. And I always say I do the same amount of work that in the corporate world takes, you know, two weeks. I do it in a day because it's just me and I don't have like people I have to present to or, or approvals or meetings or, you know, there, it just, it just happens. And so that's an, it's a, it's interesting because I think that a lot of millenn you know, I don't know if it's millennials that we're talking about anymore, but it, is it still millennials? Yes. Are we still in that, in that time? Well, it, it takes so long to get something, to get an email back or to get something done. So, but then they are, everyone is in such a rush and everything is so immediate. So there's this sort of weirdness, like, I don't even know why I'm mentioning this, but it's just this crazy thing about time right now that I keep I keep thinking about um anyway <laughs> but yeah if we think about drawing um it does bring you into the moment and you stop and you, and you really observe it's just, it's a rare thing these days to look away from the screen and then there's the battle of you know oh well now everybody wants you to make a reel about it and record it and and then it becomes about the technology and it keeps, keep, then that takes you away from the moment. And it's just a, a ongoing battle. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like, uh, in, in, like, to my mind, it feels like as if the things that were private thoughts or private spaces in our mind, they're all gone because everything is now about who's going to look at it. What are they going to think? How are they going to feel about it? And even the most, uh, like the things that really should be about us and should only concern us now have to pass through this filter of, uh, can I share it? <laughs> can I talk about it? And how would I do it so that everybody would approve? Yeah, it, I, my whole practice started by just trying to get off of screens and, and get back to this idea of appreciating moments and savoring time and passing savoring you know all the all the fleeting milestones that 
as a parent, you know, it ha- happened so quickly. And, and then, and then, it, and then all of a sudden it's, it became performative and it's just, you wonder, you know, what, where the authenticity even, I always say I've been authentic the whole time, but I, I mean, have I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't share certain things because it's private or so I hold back or I then, you know, oh, well, my audience likes, likes it when I do it this way. So maybe I'll do more of it this mm-hmm. way. And, you know, so it's just, it's hard to even know how, what kind of art and what I would be creating if it wasn't for social media. But then again, I wouldn't have two books. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy thing. No. Three books, three books. I always say two now, but it's actually three. <laughs> You're so right, though. Like, um, like I, I think about this a lot. That what would I be creating if it wasn't for an audience? And the audience is now this integral part of. Like, you can try to push. Like, you have to consciously push push people out of your mind when you get into the creative zone. And I was recently talking to somebody, and they were talking they were complaining about how difficult it is to grow on Instagram and to grow an organic real audience for yourself now for your art. And of course, it's a, it's a terrible, complicated journey now. But uh, my point to them was that it's, it's a very interesting time when you don't have any followers, when nobody is looking at your work because uh, you're completely free. You can actually do mm. anything you want because no one is looking at you. And social media sometimes feels to me like, so social media began with this promise that, hey, everybody can be on a stage and it sounds wonderful. But now over the years, it has become, hey, everyone is always on a stage. So behave like you are on a stage 24-7. And that has become such a negative uh, space to be in mentally. So uh, I feel like the more followers you have, there is this uh, negative uh, feedback of it in your life, in your creative process, because now there is this pressure, this presence in our minds that so many people think of you in a certain way, expect a certain kind of art product from you, expect a certain kind of idea from you, and that is what you mean to them in their life. And so you have to live up to this image or this idea of yourself that other people have rather than being yourself. Right. Right. And then in my case, it's been so long and life has changed so much. And social media has changed me so much in a good way. Because I have learned to speak in front of an audience. I've learned to, you know, um, create work that for, you know, for clients in a different way, I've learned, I've taught myself how to use materials, you know, people. So one thing that, that I've found interesting through the process is that once you have a certain amount of followers and a certain amount of people looking at what you do, you have become an authority. And my whole thing has been the entire time has been experimentation and I'm, I'm just messing around. And so I'm not an authority, but suddenly I, I have to be, so it's forced me to be like, okay, well, you know, 
just just the other just just yesterday I was a- answering a question on Martha Stewart magazine or something about cleaning brushes and I was like I just put some soap on my hand and clean my brushes <laughs> but then I had I researched and I was okay I have to sound a little bit you know a little a little bit more of an authority on this well you know I use master's brush cleaner and I do it this way and lukewarm water and I use details that I didn't you know that I, okay this is how you properly clean a brush and you you know you know you never leave your brush sitting in water and you do, you know all these different things that suddenly I'm like okay I, I can I can I can be an authority on something so simple as that um which is kind of nice because it pushes me to try harder and um help people in a different in a different way I mean it's so easy for me to say I don't know <laughs> how do you, I, I don't I don't really know the best tools to use I just just pick up a pencil and start drawing but people want to know what pencil I'm using or what you know when why I like the pencil I use or so and so on and and um for a, a long time I kind of thought oh I don't this, this is annoying I don't really know what kind of pencil is the best pencil um, but I, it's pushed me to try harder and to be, to be there for people in a way that, that feels good, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. There's a, a, a sense of responsibility that comes in because I can completely empathize with this, uh, with this idea of being an experimenter of just wanting to try things. And then suddenly people think that, you know, things, <laughs> And right. now you have to right. now you right. have to know things because now people think that you know things, so you can't just be saying anything. Uh, right. It's sort of like having your own podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which which reminds me, by the way, I I didn't do the important job, which is saying hello, Sam, and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm so delighted to speak with you today. Oh, thank you for thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> I've been listening to some of your episodes here and there since we first spoke and you have a lovely way of interviewing people and I'm excited. I'm really happy and honored to be here with you. I'm so glad. Uh, I'm recording today after I think almost three months. So I'm a little jittery, I'm a little nervous about. Uh, <laughs> so it's this nervousness is actually a lot about what we were just talking about that a part of me is like, what's there to be nervous about? I just have to be me. That's the whole point of the show. But the other part of me is that, you know, I'm 50 episodes in. There's a certain way I do things. And therefore, there is a certain way that people like me to do things. And it is at least a little bit my responsibility to give people what they want at this point. So I better mm-hmm. do this, quote unquote, properly. And that's causing me to be a little anxious, which I don't really need to be. But uh this this is sort of what that struggle is about, right? Like you have to reclaim yourself. Like I was talking to someone about doing commissions and they were telling, they're a really good artist, but they don't like doing commissions. And I could get that feeling that in order to do it really well, <laughs> let's let's talk about that because in order to do it really well, I at least have to sort of tune out the person who gave me the the client. Like I have to stop thinking about them and I have to only satisfy myself in order to do the job that also satisfies them. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Oh, I could talk about this for sure. Because, because you know, my work led me to books and certain jobs. And 
I, so I had a, I had an illustration rep for a little while and everybody who they brought to me and what sort of they expected from me was to do what I do for myself for other people. And it just didn't really work because I, I can't do it for other people when there's all these parameters and they, it, it's just, it doesn't flow the same way. So there were some, I mean, I, 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 I did some good, good work, but there were some where I was like, this is just not, I don't feel good about this. It's not, it's, it doesn't, it's not speaking to me. So therefore I, I'm just sort of doing it. And when your heart isn't in it as an artist, I mean, we, you know, it's, it's very, you're, you're here and, you know, other parameters, well, it's supposed to, but then it, we want it to look like all the things that you layer in your journal and all this different, and it, it just didn't come out the same way. So I've had to learn how to like, what jobs to take, what, what really makes sense for me. Um, and commissions are very few because they often don't, you know, want something that I can't really do without, um, compromising my sort of soul or whatever that, you know, so it's an, it's an interesting dilemma because I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I get it. I get why you want me to do this. You know, but no, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's really weird. It's really weird. It's a bit of the uh, factor of time again, right? Like uh, if somebody, if it's at least if it's a private individual, often they commission you because of work they have seen of yours. And that work could be something you did recently, but it could be also something you did a year ago or even longer. Mm -hmm. And so what they want is you from that time. And what you are is, of course, you today. And there is this bit of like I, I had this feeling uh, speaking about exactly this, that when you're when you're drawing and it feels like it's not really satisfying you, I felt like as if I was trying to copy myself. Right. I was trying to imitate right. the feeling of being me as an artist. And that was mm. so bizarre. It's almost like I'm plagiarizing my own work. Right. Yeah. That's so, I think, I think that's the thing you, you're plagiarizing something that came out in a sort of free and fluid way because it was yours. And then suddenly it's like, it's forced and it's not doesn't it doesn't work the same and I think that that is true sometimes you know I look back at some old work and I think wow I was I better then because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I started doing more I started really focusing on the drawings more and really learning how to you know capture light on glass or you know just you know I'm trying to to draw faith trying sometimes too hard and so therefore all that free like just you know comp you know because people really like my composition and fitting all these things together and I sort of just left that behind to focus on actually the actual drawing um and so I look at some of the older work and I think wow I mean I need to get back you know sort of get back to some of that freeness and not worry so much about how perfect things are. So, yeah, it's true. It's like, well, 
you're sort of then trying to imitate who you were and work that you did, but it just, it's not coming out the same way anymore or whatever. Yeah. That's quite interesting. We'll, we'll go into uh, what it means to be an illustrator and what it means to be a graphic designer as you were before that. Uh, and I, I, mm-hmm. I'd love to parse the differences between them. But what I'm really curious about uh, starting with, is it fair to say starting when we're 25 minutes in? <laughs> but Oh, no, I know. What I sort of wanted to <laughs> want to start with, uh, if I can use that word, is uh, trying to get a sense of, you know, uh, what I like to call the trajectory of an artist. Um, you know, what happens often is that you're, you're picking up new followers every day and every time somebody starts following you today or last month, they look at your latest work and they build a picture of you as the artist, of who you are, what you are interested by and how you paint or draw or decide to show things. And then once you have this image of the person, the most convenient thing to do is to make a straight line from their birth to build in your mind this idea of how they came to be this artist that I know, that this must have worked for them and then they must have done this and then they must have done this and then this becomes a straight line to becoming this one-dimensional Instagram account that I know of called Samantha Dion Baker. But real life is more interesting than that. People take a lot of turns. People go uh, take, uh, take a lot of sidesteps. People climb up ladders and then decide they don't want them and they come down and they change ladders. And all of this is sort of what makes up a person. And I find it very interesting to peel those layers. So one of the fascinating things I learned about you was uh, in our previous conversation, you told me how you grew up in a family of artists and there was artistic inspiration around you. There was art being practiced around you and there were these early influences so I'm very curious to know more about this. Could you tell me a little bit about growing up in a family of artists and what were these early influences? Which directions did they push you in? The, uh, yeah, it's hard to know where to begin, but I guess just simple. Yeah, I I grew up in art studios. Um, my my grandmother was a sculptor and she had us a lot of the time, my sister and I, and we would draw and be just be in her studio. And she worked on everything from tiny little wood carvings that she made into earrings to, um, you know, uh, 30 feet tall public commissions. And some of her work is still, um, on the streets in Philadelphia. I grew up in Philadelphia. And so, so she was a big influence. And then her twin sister was a, a painter, a working full-time painter in New York City. And she was represented by an, a gallery for her most of her career on the Upper East Side. So um, I had these two female which is unusual female role model work, fine artists um, in my life. And they really, it really, and I, I never take it for granted. I mean, they, they really were such a force from both of my sister and myself um, as role models and, and as creative people and every single thing from my, you know, the way that my grandmother dressed to the way that she served food was artistic. Um, 
And my mother was the same, the same way. She, she was a little bit more organized and had, you know, much more of like a practical kind of art practice where she kind of did in a way what I'm doing now, where she, she did architectural renderings. She's very precise. She did, um, illustrations. She, um, she, she did a lot of photography. She did a lot, made for years, she was doing book binding. So she taught me how to you know make books and things. And then my father was always a photographer, but he's, he was the one who sort of in my, in my, in our little world, like was the more, he, he made the money. <laughs> so he's a lawyer. He's a, he's a, um, a very good lawyer. And, um, anyway, we, then my, my grandfather restored paintings and was a painter that I could go on. There was, there's a lot of creativity and also on my father's side, um, so the arts were just part of who I, they're just in, in my blood, you know, mostly visual arts, but also music. And um, I never played music, but I appreciate it. And so there's some musicians in, in my, on my father's side. Anyway, it's, um, it's just not something I ever take, take for granted. And um, I didn't really know where my place was and I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but. Um, my sister went to Cooper Union in New York City, and I decided I wanted to go too because I didn't really like any other. I didn't really like academics. I wasn't really into writing. I wasn't really into, you know, going to law school and doing all the work that involved, you know, that w- that would have gone into to that. Um, so I thought, oh, I, I guess I'm going to be an artist too. I don't know. I don't really know what I want to do, but I'll do. I'll do graphic design, maybe, you know, Cooper Union has a really good typography and design program. And so um, I was determined and I, I got in and it's, you know, unusual. Cooper Union is a very small school. Um, so, yeah, we, we I, I don't know, I, I don't want to go on and talk forever, but it's just, it's just something I felt like I should do, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until, you know, I had my kids and I turned 40 that something sort of really made sense. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was drawing. And and I, I still don't even know how, if I'm there yet or what I'm doing with it or what, but the books kind of came and, and sort of like something sort of the answers sort of were just given to me, but I, um, it wasn't really a clear plan. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I often speak about this concept of, like it was so pre- it was so uh, significant in my life like the idea of having certain people who uh, are inspirational because in a sense they give you permission to do certain things you see them do certain things and now you know that it is allowed and all it is possible to do this and i'm thinking about this in light of the female role models in your life because no matter which part of the world we talk about it is uncommon to have a number of female role models and it is definitely a very lucky situation if you do have them uh, so uh what i'm curious to know is like you uh, before you join graph uh, you uh, you uh, start higher education what were some of these early ideas that you had about the things you could be like you mentioned 
uh, thinking about being a lawyer and immediately deciding, no, that's not something you want to do or can do. Well, I, I, I was, I just, re I remember being really excited and intrigued by the idea of an opening, you know, where everybody looks at the work that you've created and you're the center of attention and you're in, you know, in this space where everyone's coming to see what you're, what, what you've been working on and it's sort of celebrated. And I, I don't know. I think I always wanted to have those experiences, but also be practical because I had a very practical mother and father, even though my mother's, you know, work was, didn't seem so straightforward. I and mean, she wasn't, a, she wasn't a doctor or a lawyer, or, you know, or an accountant or, you know, it wasn't like, a, she, she did, sort of was like me and did a bunch of random art things, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but I, 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 but she was very, she was very organized and practical and, um, she, you know, she made money and, and she had jobs and clients and, um, so I knew that I didn't want to just be in a studio painting because I've always felt like, what, well, what do you do with that work? You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. I not, I do, I don't, I don't really, I didn't really want to, you know, just create stuff just to, and then just see what, see what happened with it. Um, that always felt too risky, but I like this idea of, creating and I, I remember in in when I was uh, my senior project at, at Cooper Union I majored in in design if you want to call it that you don't totally major at Cooper Union but I was in um, design classes and we created a book a group of us that was an experience we created a sort of a walking uh, the idea was that it was a book that you sort of walked through so there were sort of this idea of pages, but it was an experience. So it was very, um, it, it, it's a little, it's a, li a little hard to explain, but there were, you know, there was an introduction, there was a table of contents, there was a, you know, and then you walk through the, the pages and then there was a, you know, the colophon at the end that sort of talked about the typefaces we used and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, so it, I like this idea of sort of being, having fine art be, you know, marry like, you know, design and practical, you know, some sort of functional art that, that was for a client that, you know, gave you a paycheck <laughs> that was not, you know, I don't know. Um, and, and. For the most part in my my career, it's it's been like that. Like I do a lot of work by hand. Even when I would say that I was graphic designer, why my Instagram says design in it. Um, I I've always tried to blend, you know, that fine art experience and the world that I grew up in with with design. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I find it really fascinating the I like this conflict between uh, fine art as art which exists just for its own sake 
and commercial art as in art that has a specific intended purpose and a uh, maybe it has been commissioned by a client but nonetheless it it's fulfilling a very specific role and that is why it has been made um could you tell me a little bit about uh, studying and being at Cooper Union what kind of things did you pick up there how did it how did it change you from the person you were before because even growing up at home you were around a lot of art and in a sense someone could say you were still picking up an art education before yeah I, there there's so much that it blended in my memory you know what did i really learn at Cooper Union as opposed to what i learned in my life um how did I learn to appreciate this or that? Is it from, you know, my family members and the world I grew up in? Or is it, is it because I was around these amazing creative people from all over who all gathered together at this special school? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to know, but um, I think I was, I, the experience at school was a little bit similar to my upbringing, which was, you know, I didn't really know. I still, even when I, I left Cooper Union getting a job as a, a, a graphic designer for a small firm in Toronto. And they hired me based on like all the kind of untraditional stuff I did. You know, I didn't really know, even know how to use Illustrator. Mm -hmm. And um, they taught me, <laughs> but they liked that I was doing things by hand. And then I had this sort of interesting portfolio that um that was i i had done a lot of projects um with the letterpress there was a working letterpress at career union that i that i would use to solve a lot of our my projects and um yeah so i think you know my a lot of my work wasn't done on the computer so that's why they hired me i'm not sure if i'm answering the question but i think i was sort of figuring it out at school and Cooper Union was a great place for that because like I said, they didn't, they don't really make you declare a major. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I played around with printmaking, a lot of printmaking because I studied calligraphy with an amazing calligrapher. Um, I studied a lot of, I did photography. I, I, I kind of dabbled in a lot of things. So Going into design for a job, with I sort of came into it in in a way like that. In I did I didn't have you know the typical book portfolio, so and they like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, am I answering the question? The experience was great. It did it really prepare me for life in the world? Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people who went to Cooper Union will say will agree. Not not really. <laughs> And it's why I'm very happy with where my son chose to go to school as opposed to a fine art school. Um, yeah. Where is he studying? I forgot to ask you. Oh, he's at SCAD, which is the Savannah College of Art and Design. And it's a very different kind of art school. Um, and they really, it's the focus of is creative careers. I think I would have, I think I would have been very happy there. You definitely have to choose a major, though, um, and you know it, it's it's a different kind of school. But um, he didn't want to; he doesn't want to be a fine artist, so there's a good place for him. Um, you know, it's hard; it's hard; um, it's hard to know what what will be. But but I'm excited for him. 
And um, anyway, yeah, I don't know if I, I, I'm done. Did I answer the question, sort of, or well, uh, well, what what I get is that you picked up a lot of uh, a lot of various skills and the diversity of your skills and where of your influences as a result was part of uh, part of the appeal of your CV. So tell me a little bit about working yeah. as a graphic designer. What kind of work did you do, and how did that career progress? Um, that's. That's a very good question. So I started at a at this small design firm in Toronto. I had two, it was um, two partners, not a couple, but um, a man and a woman. And I'm still friends with them both today. It was such a great job and I'm so thankful for it. Um, and they did a lot of work that then I sort of continued on with throughout my career as a, as a graphic designer, which was um, they worked for the Art Gallery of Ontario. Um, they did some book uh, book covers. They did, uh, I mean, they kind of did a, a, a it was just a, a very well-rounded creative design firm. Um, but they had me use my handwriting. So Jonathan Howells, who was one of my bosses then, he did a lot of book covers for um, Knopf. Knopf. I, I always don't, have, you know what I, the publisher Knopf. Um, I don't know how you say it. K-N-O-P-F. Right. I also only um, know the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did a bunch of book covers and he had me use my handwriting for a bunch of them. Um, he, they really got into the fact that I was just doing things a little bit differently. And they helped me learn how to make that these practices of using doing things by hand and um piecing together collaging things all of that like then scanning it and and you know making it um bringing it to the computer and 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 um making it work for design projects and um so I'm trying to remember your question. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm also where am I going? Yeah, I'm also curious about these skills that that you're talking about. Actually, the skills that you're picking up yeah. on the job and how that uh, shapes you. Right. Well, so okay. So then the career, how it changed. So I left Canada, came to New York, and got a job in the art world as a designer, which was a very interesting place for me to be because I was so happy to be in the art world but then that design work was not very creative because I was making lots of art catalogs and um, announcements invitations advertisements for Sotheby's auction house for um, the Guggenheim for you know lot, uh, lots and lots of galleries it was a design firm that was that was their focus mm -hmm. was designed for the art world um and I was the art director at a really young age, and and I and I was there for, oh gosh, I think four or five years. I can't remember. And then I started my own business with a business partner, and we kind of kept some of that work, worked in the art world, but did events. So then we got, then I started having fun, and we designed line a whole line of stationery. We did the stationery show. Um, I had Ian my my first and I was like nurse I was going into the to the bathroom at, at the Javits at the at the stationary show to, 
to pump and my <laughs> like it, <laughs> I was doing it all when he was he was a tiny baby and um we we had such a good time and we had our business for um eight years I think and we did so much fun work and then she was having her third baby and I had my second and um it's an interesting time because a lot of you know a lot of times people say you know oh you want to be there when the baby's first born but I realized that like the time that the kids remember and sort of really know and remember their like mother or father being there and home with them is when they're a little bit older you know when their first memories are I mean obviously I was around and um working through their babyhood but then when when Thea was um two or three and we dissolved our business and I went freelance um I really wanted to also like be a mom and be there with them so that was when I started drawing our days in a journal so and then you kind of know from there I think what kind of happened <laughs> I started an Instagram account um you know one thing led to another and I was then you know self-publishing some some of these stories that I had created in a in my journal and then I got um my agent contacted me right. um to write draw your day so so that's how all of it happened yeah um, so uh, yeah. what I'm catching in this story is uh, like you mentioned as soon as you moved to New York that you started doing things that were fun to you and uh, later you talk about uh, dissolving the business and becoming freelance and that also seems like an instinct to go towards well the things that you enjoy doing and maybe some part of it is also discovering the things that you enjoy from doing a lot of things so uh, do, do you relate with that like what is the like you know a lot of people would have that first job and not quit and a lot of people would have that second job and not uh, not quit so the instinct to change your situation the instinct to rise up to an art director's position and then be open to changing that um what what was that driven by for you well i think because i got a job as an art director when i was 26 i just there was nowhere other than starting my own thing from there and i didn't really like having a boss <laughs> <laughs> i just I just didn't. I mean, I, I don't know. And I, and I didn't, I wasn't great at having employees really, you know, I wasn't the best. I just would, I remember sort of getting annoyed or being like, oh, I'll just do this myself. Or I just didn't give, I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, it, I don't want to say that I was bad at it. I just didn't, um, I just wanted to do things myself. Just had this, this urge to do it myself. And when I was working with with Kim on, on, she was my business partner. We're still very close today. We, um, we had very kind of separate roles. She was more the business side. She's, I remember, you know, she's the kind of one who is like, she worked for Sotheby's. She dresses like so impeccably and she had like her little heels and she could go around and like, just she, everybody loves Kim. I mean, everybody likes me too, but I just sort of have a different personality. 
she just is, she was the one who like got us our jobs and sort of just like was like the fate and I was the creative, creative one. So we had very good, like separate roles that really, um, we, we really needed each other. So it wouldn't have worked without one or the other. And so, you know, being freelance, it, it definitely like, I, I had to step up and be her role now as a, working for myself. Um, I still wish I had her, <laughs> but <laughs> doesn't. Yeah. So anyway, I hope, hope that makes sense. No, but um, it, it does yeah. so much because <laughs> I completely relate to not being very good at working under other people. And also being, I'm, I'm quite happy to say this, I'm a terrible boss. Like I don't <laughs> think people should ever work under me. And I'm also a bad employee. <laughs> So I was going to come to the idea of being a freelancer where you I are also that. your own <laughs> boss and you're also your own employee. And if you're bad at both of those roles, how do you become a good freelancer? Right. Such a good point. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> because I think I'm the same. I don't know if I was like, yeah, it's interesting, right? How do you become good at that? Um, well, you know, part of it is just, you have to, you have to, you have to pick up those pieces. You have to, you know, become better at the things that you're, you're not good at. And, you know, the, the sort of battles that we have internally when we work for ourselves, all the imposter syndrome or the doubt or the, this, or that, you know, that you could easily sort of like put onto your boss or to your, your employee. If you're, <laughs> you know, you kind of take it all on and, um, that's, that's, that's a challenge and maybe it drives us it maybe just drives us to be better um just all all that stuff that you have to deal with when you're on your own uh you just have to power through i don't know there's nowhere there's no one to blame it on but yourself you know you can't blame anybody you can't it's it's you can't so put limiting on someone else yeah, i sometimes <laughs> wish i had someone to blame but i don't it's really it's it really, like, I think it takes away so much energy. I would be so much happier if I had somebody else to blame for a lot of the things that I think I'm not doing very well. <laughs> exactly. Or, or like I said, have, some, have somebody who's, like, the perfect, like, representation of your company. Like, to be like, this is what Nishant does, and this is what, or this is what Samantha does, and isn't it great? And, you know, I guess that's kind of what, what an agent would do or something but maybe i can invent an assistant who picks up the phone for me i'll just talk in a different voice <laughs> or i could refer to myself in the third person and help maybe right. that would keep the artist in a separate space like i think a lot of this is uh going down the path of a mental breakdown so maybe i shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds a little dangerous, but it does seem like as if there is a separate skill, like, you know, uh, people talk about wearing different hats, but it's not just different hats, or uh, maybe it is actually in the metaphor that you have to pick up different personalities, and you have to behave in different ways. So like, even uh, like you mentioned, uh, dissolving this business of two people in which one person is more attuned to the creative side of things, and the other person is more attuned to what to do with this creativity which channel should it go down how should it blossom how is it best expressed and finding the opportunities mm -hmm. for that that's an entire skill set of its own but now exactly. you have to do yeah. both of those things you have to also be 
the person who is vulnerable enough to create, who is happy to be in a solitary state of mind to, which is necessary for any creation, but also is willing to wear the other hat when needed, like sort of switching on from one thing and becoming another to quote unquote sell their work, like to be the person advocating for themselves. What what yeah. were some of these experiences like? Like I can't I can't imagine what it is in your case because you are living in New York City and you're surrounded by all this fascinating art and you are changing your self description in a very in a mm -hmm. very important part of your life. Yeah. Well, I think I think I've always had I've always had somebody or some way of like of hand holding, you know. And the times when I didn't and I really had to step up, I've, I've had to learn things. You know, I've had to sort of make some stumbles and make some, have some falls and try and get back up. And, um, you know, a really, a good, a, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shy and, and sort of vulnerable as many creatives are. And, um, I got a job to illustrate Gloria Steinem's book and that was, uh, she's, you know, a legend and, and I met her and I had to work with her and not, not like that's a bad thing. I'm saying, oh, I had to work with her. <laughs> I got to work with her. Um, sorry. I got this amazing opportunity to work with her. And, you know, it was, that was one of the most challenging jobs of my life because I, all these insecurities and just, you know, just being with somebody who's as big and sort of just her, you know, <laughs> just being so powerful and important and significant and getting, and just little like me, little me, you know, when it, I just didn't even know what to sort of do with it in my head. And, um, and, you know, in a way I stepped up in some ways I, I was really, you know, too, like I didn't, you know, I didn't have enough confidence. So, um, so much of it was out of my control and it, there's so many opinions and people involved with working with someone like Gloria Steinem. But, um, you know, that, that was one of the most powerful experiences of my career because I had to become, really force myself to become a different kind of person, <laughs> you know, through, through the process. And, um, yeah, sometimes I was good at it and sometimes I wasn't. There were, there were certain times where I was around the table and I stepped up and I was confident. And then other times where I just felt like, why am I here? You know? So, um, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so, um, you reached a point of where you bring sketchbooks into your life and, uh, I'm curious to know the motivation to do this. And, you know, somebody who has been expressing themselves through art their entire life and professionally as well, why do they turn to a sketchbook? What is the value a sketchbook might have to them? So can you tell me how how this happened that you picked up a sketchbook and you decided to start art journaling or just, just drawing in the pages with an open mind? How What was the instinct to do this? Um, I, I, it was, it was something that just sort of 
there's no other hobby for me to take on at a certain point. It had to be drawing. I wasn't going to knit. I wasn't going to, you know, go to a pottery studio. I, I couldn't. I had little kids. I wasn't going to, I didn't have a studio to paint. I didn't have, I, the, the, it had to be just with a pencil and a piece of paper. And then the, the piece of paper has to be in a book because then you can throw it in your bag and you have multiple pages. I mean, there's, there was just no other way for me to express myself than and get off of the screens that was I I remember just sitting there the whole thing was I was sitting there playing words with friends just staring at the phone like not sleeping not just feeling like what am I doing and then my husband said just you have to start drawing or something you know and I've always had a sketchbook or a journal of some sort the combination of the Mm -hmm. two and so but the drawings were very far and few and far between. Like uh, we would we would go on trips and maybe I'd sketch a little tiny bit, but it was really just writing. And so I just started drawing more and more. And um, the you know having a book that you can close and play it. Nobody has to see it. It's your own private space. I mean, it's just I think everybody should have one. Um, I've always believed in like the the sort of power of like turning the page over you know just a metaphor for life and going to sleep at night and starting a new day it's like the same kind of thing you know you just start a new page and um so I I started playing around with lettering because that was easy and because I loved the letter forms I loved typography I loved drawing letters by hand and um I've always played with my handwriting as I mentioned and so it started with like just layering handwriting and like um, just playing with, you know, drawing different words out and drawing alphabets. And and then I would got confidence to like start like, oh, maybe I'll draw this coffee cup or et cetera, et cetera. So um, again, Am I, am I done answering the question? <laughs> I don't know. It just, it was what I had to do. I mean, it was the only way I could express myself and get off of the screen. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also thinking at this point that uh, you mentioned this is also around the time that you had your second child. And there is so much transformation that happens in women's lives with motherhood. And often, you know, you speak to, you speak to male artists and you'll talk about the things that influenced your career or the things that caused you to change to a different track and fatherhood often isn't one of those factors like I became a father so therefore I decided I needed to change my job or I needed to do things differently or I needed to orient my day in a different way this is one of those unspoken sacrifices that we don't address we don't really think about because we still speak or at least well I grew up in a world where we still spoke not only in a heteronormative way but also in this patriarchal assumption of how careers Mm -hmm. should go and how lives should go so it's very Mm -hmm. easy to just think oh you changed you changed what you were doing or how you were doing it but such an important aspect of this was becoming a mother Mm. well it's interesting I I always think I, I think that art making I never had a I never really had this issue about it being 
seen, but, you know, as far as um, the practice itself sort of being, you know, you would think like art for art's sake, like it just has to come out and doesn't matter who sees it and it's only for you. And, you know, there's no audience that's needed because you just, it has to happen, you know? Um, I don't know if I, I, I think that I've always sort of felt like, well, no, you know, I, I'm going to share, I'm going to share this. So there, the experience of it was so personal and such, you know, a time of like vulnerability and growth because it really wasn't very good. I mean, I was just playing around and writing, but then I started sharing it. And, um, so again, I'm not sure if I'm totally answering your question, but the experience of like where the, what, why at that time in my life, I needed to express myself this way. Um, and why, um, I feel like there's just, there's so many facets to it. There's so many reasons for it. One was, you know, practical, like I, these books is where I, where I wrote things down. Mm -hmm. Like I, I wanted to remember, you know, okay, Ian took two steps today, <laughs> things like that. Right. Or, you know, we went, we went and we did, you know, we saw this today or, you know, like a journal. Um, uh, mothers often keep these kinds of journals for their kids or whatever. And so, but then there was like, uh, well, then I, it was just a, a way of, of practicing something that I had left behind for so long. Um, there, it's funny because it kind of kept me in the present moment as a mother, but then it took me away from it because I think that there was so, it's so stressful to me, a young mother. So I could just sort of like ignore the boys in a way, like to a certain degree. So I, and I was like drawing all this stuff because I, you know, you have these like two alien things that you have to take care of and they're they cry and they do they want everything and they want from you and they take from you and you don't sleep and you don't totally eat properly because you're feeding them and they, there's they take so much from you that I just was like oh, I I needed something to like that was an escape from that but while also being there and the excuse of like, oh, it's, it, I'm recording our memories and like I'm, I'm doing this for them. It, it's like this weird kind of thing. That I, I don't know if I'm making sense My mother there. just showed me uh, like last week, a couple of weeks ago, she showed me uh, these things that she'd done in my first year. So I'm, I'm her, her first child. And uh, she was showing me this slam book she had in which she has recorded my first step the date of my first step the first time i crawled the first time i said anything uh yeah and my first uh yeah some some other first including my first party which was my first birthday um uh, and i i found it so in like it it was not only was it just written down but it was also the page was very lavishly decorated by her like it wasn't that the design of the page was like that, but she had made drawings on it and she had designed it and she'd written it in a certain color with a certain flair in her words. And I was thinking that this was like, while you were explaining this, that this was also 
a little bit of her as a young mother and her identity becoming that of a mother all day and most of the night. And this was her sort of, and she's also an artist uh, who does a lot of different things. So this was also her finding something to express herself with, something that was very definitely her. But of course, it mm -hmm. could not be completely divorced from her life either because she simply didn't have the time for that. I'm a very attention-seeking baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's something about it that's like twofold you know it does this but then it also did this and it's kind of yeah I don't really I'm in a place and I'm a place could sort of take it back to today I'm at a place where I don't really know what I want to do in my sketchbook right now so I'm, tr I'm, I'm trying to figure it out because I think I needed it as an escape I also had this excuse that it was for my boys, which it they are. They're all on my shelf. They're all there for them for whenever they whatever they want to do with them. Um, it, there was there were these other reasons that I'm not sure I need right now. You know, I don't I don't need to record their lives anymore. They're like grown up and whatever. Um, my life is kind of boring. <laughs> I don't know, um, and I need to you know have clients and jobs that pay the bills and so like I'm I'm trying to you know figure out where what what I want to do with my sketchbooks because the sketchbook is always going to be in my bag it just is whether I pick it up every day like I used to or it's once a week or even once a month you know it's it's just a part of me and I I feel lost without it um and it, it is a way that I express myself, but um, it just, don't, I don't need it the same way. So I'm not sure. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. Right. It, it, and it, it is a very interesting question, I feel, to for any artist to have this kind of, uh, like, a way to say it would be uh, this sort of existential question, this why of a sketchbook. Why does this sketchbook need to exist? Why do I need to, even today, have a relationship with a sketchbook? It has to have a definitive reason or a motivation that has to come from within me. And the need mm -hmm. to find that is so, like, it can feel, um, like, I find it so interesting that even now you can have that question for yourself. Because, again, so many people will look at an accomplished artist and any kind of artist and they'll think they have the answers. They know what they want to do. That's why they're doing this. But the idea that even now people can have questions, people can have blank spaces instead of answers and every day they try to fill in an answer and see how it fits and let's see if this makes sense no it doesn't I'm gonna have to try for a new answer tomorrow that mm -hmm. struggle is always there and it's so it's it's one way to look at it is that what's the point of making art then the other way to look at it is that it's so encouraging that that struggle is ever present this sense of an imposter syndrome is ever present and we mm -hmm. always have to negotiate it and we all we sort of kind of have to ignore it in a way and find clever ways to ignore it and some of that sounds to me like you know going back to the joy of what you were doing like the sketchbook as a way to express yourself and finding finding how it fits into your life as your life changes around it so yeah um i i'm i'm i want to know uh, like going back to when you started with the sketchbook was it difficult for you then also, like as as a trained graphic designer with all this uh, self-expression and creative expression behind you to start to express yourself with drawings in the pages of a sketchbook 
or uh, an art journal, was that a challenge? And if so, what kind of challenge was it? I, it was a challenge, but it was really a fun challenge. I I got addicted to that challenge. You know, I said that in, in Draw Your Day, and it's two things that you had just mentioned that I talked about in Draw Your Day, but then also at the end of Draw Your World, I talked about um, how you know, an artist has never arrived at some place because once you think you've arrived, then you're want to get somewhere else. You know, there's never, there's never an end. And I think that that's how life should be because what, if you get to the end point, then what do you do? You know, you have to change your career completely. So there's always something, there's always growth. There's always change. There's always one step back, two steps forward kind of thing. Um, or, or even more extreme than that, you know? So it's, um, but yeah, the, the, um, the, the practice and the challenge of it and the, the daily thing and the, and the compulsive like ritual of it became really part, so much a part of my life. Like I always said, it was like meditation or a daily meditation or like, or even as, as practical as brushing my teeth and as like, important as that like I just had to do it and I still feel that way that's why I said you know I have to have my sketchbook with me like I have to it's just part of me um just the the sort of moment of like oh my gosh this has got to be in my sketchbook is happening a little less frequently it used to be just everything was in my sketchbook I did laundry it was in my sketchbook you know anything anything you know I just wrote a wrote the stupidest mon- most mundane things up just because I had to do a page every day um and um it's yeah I mean it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing it's it's like that the 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 need for an artist to have a sketchbook is like that's where you solve your problems that's where you do your thinking that's where you can plan something out that's where you can say oh my gosh I just doodled that but Oh, what if I did it this way? What if I did this or that? You know, I mean, it's the sketchbook is like the, it's like almost like the, the uh, brains, like you're kind of your brain, like all matched up, like all it, it, it's just, and, and it doesn't matter if it's perfect or if every page is worthy of like, you know, it, some of, it, I don't know the, there's, I mean, I'm friends with so many sketchbook artists and then I wonder like a lot of people who you've interviewed and I just think what are they doing with these books you know they just closed up and put on a shelf and their work inside is like amazing masterful stuff and it's like well I guess that's better than having a like I said before a studio full of paintings that just sit there and it's, they're also you know, easier to the, store than full paintings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see the growth and process and yeah. it's kind of a it's it, they're amazing things, yeah. um, but they're tricky things too because they're just closed up, and it's it's like the you're the brain of an artist kind of like sticks sitting on a shelf. Um, <laughs> that it's kind of a funny thing, and I keep saying, and I've said it for like I don't know how many years now. I'm still still like waiting to get there, but like figuring out what work I can create that's worthy to, of not being in the sketchbook. Mm-hmm. That's like 
were worthy of like, oh, I made this. I want you to hang this on your wall. A lot of my drawings like became a print or something. And, you know, obviously like when I do something for like Blackwing or, 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 um, you know, another, another client where, where the work that I might like sort of create in a sketchbook then becomes like a print or something, then, you know, it's intentional, but, but a lot of times people will like, like coffee cups I did for 30 days, I sold as a print. It still sells. And I'm just embarrassed by it. Like I'm not embarrassed, but I, do, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's not something I made with the intent right. for people to have it on their walls. So it's like very uncomfortable for me. Um, I just wanted to get better at like ellipses and drawing a coffee cup. So <laughs> <laughs> the first one is wonky and not as good as the last one. And I got better and, you know, I made it into a print. I don't know. I'm still figuring out like what I want to do. That's like worthy of being, being, you know, sold. And, and, and. Yeah. So many interesting threads in that, like even firstly, like going backwards, uh, the concept of what is quote unquote worthy of say being on somebody's wall, uh, being something that you uh, can proudly charge someone X number of dollars, being something yeah. that you can proudly share with other people as, hey, this is me. You can take it or you can buy this or you can look at it and I am able to declare that, hey, this is me and I want you to look at this. And the the, mm -hmm. the space of the sketchbook to do that because like you said, it started for you as a private thing. And there is this uh, this sense that of... Like, uh, so a lot of the sketchers I speak to draw and paint in sketchbooks. And a large part of the idea is that a lot of those pages are going to become prints, are going to be sold, are going to be in books. But um, so a lot of the sketchers I speak to are urban sketchers and their sketchbooks are mainly paintings and drawings. But your mm -hmm. sketchbook is almost equally words. And words mm -hmm. may be put yeah. very beautifully as typography, as calligraphy, but essentially a lot of deep thoughts and a lot of your current thoughts. You weren't simply drawing what you saw, but also uh, making sense of or organizing and reorganizing the ideas in your head. So it becomes this very mm -hmm. deeply private expression. And it's a little right, funny when people what... buy it. It is. It's so weird. And, and it's but it's what people want from me. So when you talk about being new to Instagram and not having followers, me as like making a painting of like shadows on a wall, like I have that in my shop. Nobody's buying it. A few people did, but like, I'm, I'm not known for that. That's not what my audience wants from me. They want those thoughts all tangled together with little drawings. And so, so I'm like, would be starting out as like an unknown artist kind of in if if I wanted to take you know one one painting and make it you know a print or a, you know something that I felt was I would be proud to see on somebody's wall it's a weird it's a it, I'm in a weird place with it and so that's why I think I'm still sort of just like treading water a bit because I'm just not sure what what to do um when I know what people want from me, they want to learn. I'm getting, you know, lots of students. I have lots of teaching gigs. I'm, um, I, I, I like teaching. I love connecting with people. Um, I think really firmly believe everybody's an artist, you know, uh, just, just 
you know, it's all about like a confident line. It's just, you know, it's it, anyway, it, that's a whole other topic, but the, the, uh, the, the me as like an artist where I'm selling my work is like, uh, definitely a work in progress. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you said, like, it's it's heartening, I think, to know that every artist feels that they have not quite arrived. And exactly what you said that, you know, you reach one horizon and all it does is show you that the horizon is ahead of you. And there is right. another horizon and another horizon to chase. And uh, it's very difficult to like, I, yeah, like if you think that you have arrived, it in a sense, that is the end. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. And yeah. that feeling is leaves you purposeless it's a very it's a very it's it's an empty feeling rather than a full feeling that you know uh, having arrived somewhere implies a sense of satisfaction and contentment and being finished with something mm -hmm. but this almost yeah, like leaves you with empty closing. yeah like it's it's leaving you incomplete or it's leaving you unfulfilled or it's 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 cutting something short the the yeah. so i i think what we're arriving at is that the journey and the the path is the point. The means are the ends. This is something that I was thinking mm -hmm. about recently that, you know, we're having all this, uh, well, uh, we don't have to get into it, but there's all this talk around AI art and art that is produced by a computer and so much mm -hmm. of it, like, other than all the ethics and all the ideas and all the other debates around it, what I find sort of quote-unquote troubling about it is that we are so, we are becoming more predicated on the product that is created and we are divorcing ourselves even further from the process of making art. And mm -hmm. the entire joy of doing it is in the doing of it and not necessarily to be preoccupied with the product. So um, mm. I, want to, I want to talk about the sketchbook in this light because, you know, when you're sharing your innermost thoughts and you're expressing yourself and you started to express yourself as a, in the sketchbook as a space that was just you, to start to share it on Instagram can start as a, a way to invite people to look at your thoughts and to invite people behind the scenes in a sense. But mm -hmm. it then changes into the sketchbook being the finished product that someone, once you've sold one print, you know that, hey, someone might want another print of another page of my sketchbook. Does that change for you what the sketchbook means? Like, can you express yourself just as easily in it when you have in the back of your mind that this is supposed to not just be raw ideas, but a finished piece? Mm. Uh, well, well, I th I think that that's where I, that's where it gets a little fuzzy because I, I've always been super, super authentic. I don't like, for example, when people have asked me to do um, my sketchbook live or you know, it's very, I can't prepare in advance because if it's about that day, it happens in the moment. So there have been times where I've been like forced to be authentic in a place where it shouldn't, there should have been some preparation or there should have been some thought. And it just, you know, I refuse to do it that way because if, if I'm going to turn the page and work on my next page, that that's that's the next day like that had to be the next day it's it's not something that i can plan in advance so and i don't know really what's going to speak to me i mean when i was really into it and i like there were years where i did not take a day off 
And it was about completing the page, having it be finished, not tearing it out, not starting over, working all over like mistakes. You know, if I really, which didn't happen very often, which I, I do, I don't really know how to teach people that, but it's just like, it's a confidence thing. Um, if I hated it, I would say, okay, well, I'll collage over this and I'll start here. But I never tore a page out. You know, everything had to be finished and to a place where I could share it. And um, some of the pages I didn't like as much. Some of the pages I hated people, other people loved. So that was weird. And it's still like that today. Um, and so it's it, like it's hard to say because I while I'm with so I'm so authentic with it, quote, you know, like real, I'm, it's still like I know that people are looking. So how how real can it be and there have been times where i've been like you know like a really hard thing happened or you know there was a death in the family or things like that you know and i think people want me to be more vulnerable and share those things but i'm not comfortable with that so i would you know sort of express it through a quote in a secret kind of way or like in a very subtle way that so Therefore, I was creating it for the audience because because I might have been more real in my writing and the thoughts that I put down if it wasn't going to be put on Instagram. Um, and so there there's like this weird thing. So I, in a way, it was totally it's always been completely real. But but like we said earlier, like, what would I be doing if it wasn't for social media? I don't I don't know what my sketchbook would look like. If I if if it wasn't for social media so i don't really totally have the answer yeah you know yeah like and you can't know uh what it would be like both for the good things and the bad things like sure we can it's easy to think oh we might be more free and we might do what we really want to do but there's a lot of positive we like like i i wonder sometimes about if you're on a deserted island and you have no concept of other human beings would anybody make art? Can art I, exist I in a vacuum of that kind? And the idea of the solo artist and art for art's sake, these arguments taken at the surface imply that, yeah, art art would exist. You would be an artist. I would be an artist on a deserted island. But I don't know if that's entirely true. A large part of any kind of creative expression is about having somebody to express it to. And having, mm -hmm. even even when we are creating for ourselves, we want to then stand back and look at it as if we didn't create mm -hmm. it. It should make sense to us as a person enjoying it. And then we mm -hmm. think that somebody who's exactly like me will enjoy it the way that I'm enjoying it. And then that's the person in my mind. Now. But if it was only me, maybe there is no motivator for create uh, for artistic expression anymore. I, do you do you, right. do you have you ever thought about this? It's no, it's it, yeah. I don't I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, it's one of those questions that it's impossible to know. Like, uh, you know, what 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 does a a cat see or what a baby think? Like, how do you know? Yeah. How, we can never answer the question. Um, so when 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 I think about, you know, uh, you know, as I'm creating, you know, who it's for, it's, it's so funny to think, you know, all this time, it's not been for me. 
but it's so for me, you know, it's so like they sit there, they're for my kids. They're so precious to me. They're like the most valuable thing, you know, in my studio, like they're the first thing I would take kind of whatever in a fire, you know, they're, they're precious. But then, but then again, I, you know, I really don't know who I made them for in a way, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It's an, it's a really, Interesting question. <laughs> well, uh, but, yeah, Sam, I want to talk about uh, like the way that you uh, incorporate words in with your drawings in, on those pages, and what what a word says versus what art reveals. I want to talk to you about the the book, uh, the Draw Your Day, and how that happened. But uh, let's take a let's take a short break and let's drink some mm-hmm. water and let's reconnect in a few minutes. Okay, yeah. sure. As Sam and I refresh ourselves, a quick word from our sponsors. If you're listening to me right now, it is fair to assume that you are enjoying this episode. After all, we're almost an hour and a half in. Maybe you even like this show that has been running for 52 episodes now. The sponsors of this independently produced podcast are, of course, listeners just like you. And on the other end of this equation is just me. I do all the work around making this podcast by myself, from booking guests to editing the audio and even writing these words that you're hearing right now. It is a one-person production from start to finish. It's a lot of work, but also it's a labor of love. I love to make this show and I love to do it by myself. But it would not be possible for me to keep going if I did not have the support of super listeners. If you appreciate the work I put into this episode, tap the button in the episode description to buy me a coffee or to become a sneaky art insider. Use it also as a chance to start a conversation. I would love to hear from you. I am glad for all the listeners who are able to support me. We are more than a hundred strong right now in the sneaky art insider club. But I am also glad for each and every listener who tunes in. In this age of shallow engagement and short attention spans, it is already a big commitment and a big show of support that you listen to a long-form conversation. So thank you. Heading back into it, Sam and I are going to talk about the evolving role of sketchbooks in her life and how she came to use words next to her drawings. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, okay, other side of the break. Welcome back, Sam. Welcome back. Yes. <laughs> How are you doing later this morning? <laughs> I'm fine. I I just um caught up a little, and I feel re- a little bit re- refreshed. Although now now the words aren't coming out. <laughs> I have to get back in the groove of talking, even after yeah. a short break. Yeah. L- let's let's go back in time uh, to the first sketchbooks and. You begin by uh, you begin by sharing your world, but slowly you also start going outdoors and drawing what's outside. Um, mm-hmm. How did this how did this transition happen, and how did you how did you start to how did you start to find things to draw outdoors? Mm. Um, well, it was it it's all part of like what just spoke to me in that any that day that that told a story. So. Um, trying to think of some examples, like 
right now, and I, you know, animals always come in. I'm just like the biggest animal lover and I can't help it. And they tell so, they just are like the, like so much of the heart of New York City to me. And um, so like, for example, there's this tiny little black lab outside of um, Joe Coffee where we get our coffee every day. And he's there with his human um, <laughs> every single morning now. They just sit there and the puppy is like the cutest thing ever. And so, nor you know, it's just, it, those are the things that like, I want to, I want to remember and preserve or, you know, so that, that is outside, but I have to take a photo of it um, because the dog is moving and I can't really just sit there and draw the dog. So, um, so sometimes it's outside. Sometimes it's something that happens inside. Like we, I taught my son how to make pasta. So we'll, I'll draw the, you know, that, that seemed to be something to remember. Um, that's indoors that, you know, I can, I can draw that from memory. Um, so I'm not sure again, if I'm answering your question, but like what brought me outdoors, I think maybe also what you're trying to, maybe what you're getting at is like, what made me sort of go beyond the words. Is that, is that what, um, um, and, and I just started easy, um, with things that I thought, and that's where the challenge was. It was like, can I draw that? Oh, I really think this is, you know, well, can I draw that? Or, oh, you know, I walk by this storefront every day. I love New York city storefronts. Can I draw that? You know? So I would just, and sometimes I did like sit in front of it and draw or whatever. So, um, if, if that's, I don't know, it's just the challenge every day of trying to find something new to draw. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I, I think part of my question was also that um, what it, it sounded like what started as you expressing what is inside you. But then uh, there is also so much of the outside world that we look at. And then this question, like just like you rightly asked, can I draw that? And part of that is, am I able to draw that? And another part of that is, is that something to draw? Right. Right. Because sometimes things are too intimidating. As we, we talked about this when we first talked, some of the things that you draw, I get scared about drawing, which is like a room full of people. Um, I'll draw one person, you know, um, or, you know, any, any other challenge. Also sort of, I love this idea of of looking down and looking up, you know, I'll, I'll often draw like something I find on the sidewalk or I see, you know, even our, our, my feet walking or a person who I'm walking with, I'll draw our feet. Um, and then also looking up and details that I see in the sky. And when you, you know, because these are those, that's how you, I like to see the world and notice details by looking up and down and all around and not looking that, you know, like that so much of, of my time now is like, even when I'm walking on the street, I'm staring at my stupid phone. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, the, just, just, just noticing all the little, little things that you might not think yeah, are significant, yeah. but that, that can tell a story. I feel like a part of it is, you know, like, uh, when, whenever someone like me asks someone a question about why did you do this or why did you do that? Uh, the answers are 
like the why of it is answered in that moment because back when you did do it you didn't always have you might not always have the answer of why am i doing this like i know a lot of my sketches they i draw it and then i know i think i understand why i drew this having drawn it i have an answer for what made me want to do it but in the moment i had to chase something that i could not put literally could not put into words that's why i had to draw it mm -hmm. i had to i had to go with this feeling which it is not only impossible but also maybe not wise to articulate in words yet i just mm -hmm. have to go with this sensation and it will become a drawing and then that drawing will have a meaning but first i have to just go with the drawing and just looking at things and giving them my time like you said about looking up and down and it's the motivation to be more mindful of our surroundings mm -hmm. can come from being an artist or it can come to us simply because we're in this time where we are endlessly distracted and mm -hmm. we are looking for ways to make well uh, going back to our first a uh, little bit about time we are looking for at least i i feel like i am looking for ways to slow down time mm -hmm. and the best way to me seems to be to just look at as many things as i can and observe as many things as i can and mm -hmm. that makes the value of an hour seem more than if i was distracted mm -hmm. and if i was uh looking at a screen or not observing my world and so the art becomes a way to or an excuse to slow down and look like you said to look up to look down to look at little things to look at big things and to see if they make sense to you can can do some words jump out into my mind if i sit down here and if i mm -hmm. make this drawing mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's the i i use the example of um like a travel a travel journal um in in draw your day and i think this is super important that when we are traveling we're so much more mindful of what we see because it's new and fresh and we we like paid for our trip and we <laughs> took the time off and we you know we're we're just more likely to notice things and um so the which is a whole other thing like how can you sort of make the everyday be interesting like that like how can you make just walking down to your cast the cap you know your normal routine getting a coffee on the way to like for me on the way to the studio how how can that be extraordinary when i do it every day but there's always you know there's always something new and there's like that i find that challenge of just what i can notice um whether i draw it or not but even just you know noticing something new each time is is a is a, is a fun like little practice um and um but but going back to the travel when you're traveling you know i use this example like we were doing we were going to the um the eiffel tower and we're climbing to the top and you know the obvious is to like draw the eiffel tower right but there was so there were these little things like my son would not eat on that trip he was he was very stubborn he didn't like the french food he would whatever mm -hmm. he only would eat this certain thing or chocolate croissant or whatever and um you know those are the things that i want to remember you know not the eiffel tower because that's sort of obvious right so it's like when you're traveling what are the little things that that will bring you back 
to the, you know, the details that make that trip unique and what, what, what will make it memorable. And, um, so I try and like talk to a lot, that a lot when I'm teaching and when trying to Mm -hmm. sort of inspire people about what, what to notice. Um, and that's also like way less intimidating to draw a chocolate croissant than the Eiffel Tower. Right. So sometimes it's like a practical thing and it's like, well, I don't, I don't know. The Eiffel Tower is like all those lines and whatever and the proportions and the perspective and the this and the that. And it's like, well, it doesn't, you can look at a picture of it, right? I don't know. So, so it's just, there's, there's, again, it's like, there's so many facets to like the benefit and the challenges and what, what helped bring you back. Cause for me, it's so much about the memory keeping these books. Um, and so, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, and that too is a role that the book slips into over time. Like it's not, again, it's not a determined thing. Like if you were by yourself, if you're a solo artist, a single person, and you were in Paris, you might feel obliged to draw the Eiffel Tower. You might feel that if I don't do this, can I effectively say that I was in Paris or that I went to Paris? Like, just like having a selfie in front of the Eiffel Tower is necessary. Like, you could think it is necessary. You have to do it, no matter whether you climb up or you spend any other time in that area. But uh, what goes into my sketchbook and what is a more faithful depiction of the things that I thought about, the things that had my attention or the things that were important in that day. And therefore, those are the things that get to go in my sketchbook. And that can mean not the Eiffel Tower, but a chocolate croissant. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very... Like, it's a very interesting decision-making process to go through, right? Like, what you, you've just uh, sidelined one of the seven wonders of the world in order to, uh, in order to give a place of importance to your child's mood that day in what he's going to eat. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's fascinating to me. Like, I think it's such a, it's, uh, again, it's a position you're in only because you have a sketchbook. And because you have given yourself this mandate that I am going to express my day in this sketchbook one way or another. Mm-hmm. And there are these practical considerations like perspective. Do I have the time, the attention and the effort and the mind space to give to getting that right? Or should I, is it, is it, is it more correct? Is it more fair? If you don't have the mind space for it, is it a real depiction of your day? Is it really worthy of your journal shouldn't the journal be the things that are in your mind Mm -hmm. and if that's a chocolate croissant then it's a chocolate croissant and suddenly (laughs) that it has it has more value than the eiffel tower well yeah and it it, it's then you know that oh i remember that time because then it was like oh it's all he would eat and we were so stressed about it and you know gosh you know looking back on it today like wow if we only had that small problem today, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it seemed so big at the time. And, you know, all the things that it brings back when, when, if you just drew the Eiffel Tower, you might not have those little nuances in your, me- in your memory. You might not, right. you know, so, so there, there is, um, there's the, there, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting decision-making process that has to do with not only not only what's going to tell a story and to bring you back into that time so that you can reflect and say, you know, oh my gosh, if, if only it was that, <laughs> that simple, but like, but then also, you know, what you want to draw and what seems exciting to draw and what, what 
I love the idea of like, okay, chocolate croissant really big next to like this really cool, you know, car that we saw. And I draw that really small. And I like the juxtaposition of size and shape and like fitting things in. And maybe the car and the croissant have like a similar kind of shape or they, the, the, you know, the chocolate is the same color as the wheel, the tires or the shadow underneath like there's there's all these like visual connections that I try and make when I'm planning a page and um I don't know there's there's it just it it like uses all of all of it and I love that I love that you know yeah yeah I I really love about this story uh, uh what I really love about this story is that um you know you don't uh you can't go with a fixed idea of how that page is going to look or how uh, the things that are going to go into it. So much is defined by these real life constraints, the things that you are from that location able to look at, the things because of your life that you are able to focus your attention on, and then using within those constraints to create meaning. Like what can I play with? What can I juxtapose next to each other? What makes for a good composition and therefore what am I expressing? What can I say? Maybe can I have a caption? Can I have a quote that's relevant? And meeting those challenges with every page of the sketchbook is the real, well, I, I, to me, that's the thrill of the sketchbook. I don't know how it's going to go down, but every blank page is like this game I'm going to play with the things that are in front of me. And then afterwards, it has meaning. Afterwards, somebody looks at it and then they have a relation to it. Like we were talking before the break, sometimes you draw something that you don't specifically enjoy so much, but people seem to love it. And yeah. that has happened to me with some prints that I've sold, something I reluctantly put, thinking, who's going to buy that? And then that's the one that sells and that's what people right. care about. You can't often, you don't know what's going to connect with people. Even when you think you understand, the way that people relate to our work it can be almost irritating at times. Like it's so satisfying the way people react to you, or to react to my work. But sometimes uh, I have to remind myself that I have, it's not mine anymore. It, in a sense, it's not mine anymore. Once I have shared it, everybody is looking at it in their world and then fitting into fitting it into their world, like what value it has and what it means and what it says and what it suggests. Whereas it can simply come out of a situation of having too many chocolate croissants in your vicinity and therefore <laughs> needing to draw one. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's... You mentioned also uh, before the break, you were talking about how uh, now when you were in this cycle of expressing yourself uh, with, regularly with a sketchbook, uh, you also had to think about how much you are willing to share. So mm -hmm. for significant family moments, like the uh, a death in the family, for example, you mentioned that you would share just a quote rather than necessarily a drawing that would say something about that moment. And this had me thinking about, uh, like, uh, so I'm a writer first, and then mm -hmm. I sort of became an artist, quite a, a series of uh, fortunate incidents, but very accidental incidents. Uh, so I often think about how much I reveal myself from reveal about myself from words and how much I reveal about myself through drawings mm -hmm. and words seem like the more descriptive thing, like more clearly they will tell people your thoughts and who you are than just a drawing. Surely 
but it feels to me almost that I do a better job of expressing myself through a drawing of the moment sometimes than with the words. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about how words play in your work because words are a big part of how your pages are designed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, uh, 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 what are the different kinds of words that you think about? Do you feel like, it, it, does it come from your reading? Does it come from the moment? Does it come from thoughts that you have that are sparked by something while you were doing that page? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it, as I was saying with like the car and the croissant, like sometimes there's no relation to what I'm drawing and what and what I might highlight in words. Um, a lot of times when I do words that are drawn as opposed to just my writing, because I, I always draw that distinction between the two. I, I draw letters and then I write. And my handwriting is a mess, but you know, I I um, I love drawing uh, letters and can't be like sort of taking the time and being more conscious about them. And it's either a quote or the date or something that like is worthy of like taking that time to draw rather than to write. So um, it's 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 interesting that they, they come to me in very different ways. Sometimes the quote will be just something that I read and I just loved it and I want to put it in and I want to play with the word you know I just love drawing letters so I'll just play around with it and I'll just put it in my sketchbook um sometimes it it'll have to do with um, a lesson or something that's happening in my life or, or something that I want my kids to to remember like you know the quote um I think it's my Angelo. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but you know, people remember how you made them feel, but not what you said that, that quote, you know, for, like for, that's a good one where that I would put in there just for my kids, you know, um, or, um, something, somebody like, a, a, you know, a significant figure would die. So I would find and research things that they said. And I put a quote in that they, that they said, like, you know, so, there's um, various reasons, but if I find something that I find is worthy of putting in my journal in wor- words, I get so excited because I just love it. So for me, it's just like, it's just fun. I carefree. I, so it's, it, they come to me for different reasons in different ways. And the date is always important for me. You know, some people in their sketchbooks use a stamp. They date their work exactly the same way every single day. Uh, for me, it's just the fun time to experiment with letters. So I, I have fun with it um, because the date of your entry is very important. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, there's no, there's not a, like a, there's not a ritual or clear. So I have collected quotes because I, I love them. And I, and what I did one for a series was in the tiny little book. I did a whole series of 70. I wanted to get better at drawing people. So again, it's like the practice mixed with like, so something that was important to me to sort of keep, which are these quotes, these words mixed with like getting better at drawing. So like a daily practice and just, you know, the regular, that's how you get better at anything. You, you just have to practice. So I, so I drew a different portrait every wasn't every day, but almost every day. And I, the little book is filled with 70 or something. And, um, I got really good at them, you know, well, I mean, 
whatever. But I got better over time. Um, and and um, but I got good at drawing them this big in black and white. So now <laughs> I, I try and like draw people in color and different sizes. I anyway. But the point is, is that um, I that was a really good way of practicing drawing people, but also putting the quotes that I've collected in one place. That makes right. sense. Right. And uh, is that like using words or having words that you run into in your life, like a quote you pick up from a book or maybe from the news or some other reading on your phone, but to use it as a quote, I feel like uh, this is, is this another difference between how a fine artist would approach the words that they encounter in their life as opposed to uh, a different kind of artist, like somebody who's a commercial artist who's thinking about, uh, you know, a, a fine artist's approach would be to express even the words of their life through the art that they make. Mm -hmm. But Well, uh, yeah, I, it's interesting. And I, I don't know if this is really what you're saying, but I've always... I'm not a writer first and I don't feel like I have a way with words, you know, so I rely on the other people's words. So, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, what can I say about this? That, that like, can I have my own quote that I don't have to put the person who said this in, you know, can I just like say it in my own words? And it, I, 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 so often I'm like, no, nah, I can't really, <laughs> I don't know. Or I get, I get like frustrated. And so I'm just like, yeah, no, they said it better. So I'll, uh, you know, and then I have to be careful because sometimes I'm like, well, do I like the person who said this quote? You know, sometimes I don't, or sometimes, you know, I don't know. Like I put Jane Fonda in my little book and I like Jane Fonda a lot, but people had issue with Jane Fonda from years ago. <laughs> you know, like there's, it's loaded. Like there's a lot of different opinions. And I mean, I ignored that, but you know, it's just a side note, but, um, a lot of times I'll like choose a woman over a man or I'll choose a person of color over a, like a white man or whatever, because I just want to honor people who I think deserve to be honored more or in a specific moment when I don't know, you know, there's a lot of different thoughts that go, go into it, but it's not my own words mm -hmm. because I, do, I'm not good. I'm not, I'm not a writer first. So um, I don't know, again, if that was what you were getting at or what, but I went on a different tangent there, but it's, it's interesting, well, you know. But I was thinking that uh, even when uh, they are words of other people, they do mean something to us. And mm -hmm. uh, regardless of whether we change those words or we find a way to express in our own words, the words do have a meaning in our life. Mm -hmm. And even to use those words as quoted in... Mm -hmm around something you've made or to to use that word, uh, those words, that quote as an element, which is part of other elements on your page and together mm -hmm. they say something is genuine self-expression. But uh, my, my question was more about um, using words as words rather than using words as further artistic prompts. Mm. So uh, to the idea of uh, juxtaposing a drawing with a quote, mm -hmm. whether it's typography, whether it's handwriting, Versus the idea of letting the, that quote sort of seep into you and express itself through just the drawing, through just the artistic expression. And the, right. this latter approach seems more of what a fine artist would do and how a fine artist would approach, you know, the various influences 
in their life artistic and textual <laughs> to use mm-hmm. a word yeah i i think that um for me the the incorporating words adding my handwriting to my artwork is a crutch it's sort of like it helps me to it's interesting i did a job once with that agent and they wanted it to be like my my journal um and they had me write all these words and this like all this stuff and then they decided to take the words out and so i had to photoshop all the words out and it didn't work as well um i was because then i was focusing more on the drawings and i wasn't happy with the drawings so there's something about the words that sort of i think and the composition and and making it all work together that that helps me it helps my drawings and it also takes the focus away from them so they don't have to be quite as good because it's all this whole it's 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 the combination and the composition that make the whole that make it that that sort of work as one um i did a journal entry two spreads about the pandemic um that was in um, the Washington Post, and then for the digital version, they took each piece out to make the digital slides because they couldn't show the spread. But everything fits together, so they like they we ended up being in these weird shapes, and it didn't really work because it it, it it's all it's like a part of the whole. So I think the words and the drawings like they need each other in in my work and. So, and it's interesting because when I too take the words out and I just focus on the drawings, I think that's when I was saying like people don't, didn't, they want it all. They want it all. You know, they want that combination. They want to see all the layering and think, you know, what I think is so beautiful about your work and like um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot of other sketchbook artists work is the white space and the space they don't work on. You know, whereas I'm like, I fill it all up, right? Um, and it's very rare that I'll leave like a huge amount of of, of space. Um, and I, I love the space. I love, that's actually like the art that I have on my walls at home. It's more like minimal and, you know, I dress in a sort of more minimal way. But But my pages are like this other part of me and it's all like, I fill it all up. And I love filling it all up, you know? So, so I don't know. I, I think that 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 I look to the words to sort of it's part of the whole and it and it helps me um not to have to try so hard on the drawings yeah. no, that makes a lot of sense like I think our notion of what is the finished product is what has changed so much and like whenever we were like whatever decade or whichever year you are born uh, you take a lot of values as implicit. We don't really examine them. So, like, uh, I grew up in the 90s. So, for me, uh, things being a certain way or art being a certain way is natural. And somebody who grew up in the 60s and the 70s might think art means a certain thing and therefore they have to do, they, they sort of, their uh, own journey along art or away from their definitions of art is their own journey. They have their own starting point and I have my own. So in that light, I find it very interesting the way that uh, people look at our work, people look at your sketchbook pages because now words 
are such an indelible part of everyone's life like mm-hmm. our entire communication with the rest of the world is through text whether it's tweets whether it's uh, you know the the ticker in the news uh, texting with friends and so much of our life is mediated by words and deciphering words like taking meaning out of what they what they said what happened and etc etc so uh, the definition of what is the the art what is the finished the thing that i can say is yeah this is a finished drawing does it have space for words in it or not is a factor of the times we live in and i feel like now having a having a date in the corner having a sense of location expressing a, like supplementing or uh making it like add, like it's almost like adding a cushion to the art like the words are sort of giving context to the mm-hmm. drawing like a caption mm-hmm. like a caption but now yeah. now they are part of the design like the caption at least had this idea that it's out of the frame it mm-hmm. isn't it and it's in the typical font of printing so it's not part of the design of the page but now these words are part of the design of the page they're part of the experience of looking at this page and mm-hmm. that's also a very interesting transition so um i get uh, this is not a question <laughs> the question yeah. is that i'm i'm curious to know now this journey of with your sketchbook and how it leads up to this first book draw your day and mm-hmm. uh, tell me a little bit about how this how this journey happened well i i i was just drawing alphabets and letters as i said and and patterns and playing around with just doodling really this like sort of yes a, a, a more conscious celebrated kind of doodling you know i was really didn't know what i was doing but the letters get were like a crutch you know it was like okay i'll put the doodles in letters <laughs> literally like i would draw a big letter form and just fill it with lots of doodles and um i don't know it was like almost going back to like where i stopped drawing which was probably at the age of like uh, 16 or so when i started doing more conscious work and design work and then i applied to college and you know everything was like what what the uh my art teacher told me to do or my um or the the applications had me do and so you know when i started this it was like i'm going to go back to when i just drew for me and i did all these little doodles so then it evolved and i started drawing the things that I got confident and I'll try and draw that and then it just became this like the first time i put a date on the page and it was and i talked about what we did and then all of a sudden it was like oh the, i i didn't call it draw your day but it was like an illustrated journal um a sketch journal i had and my hashtag started sdm baker sketch journal okay um which is just followed me throughout the whole time and so so i i didn't i mean i did not a lot of thought went into it when i made the hashtag when i made my instagram handle all of it so i'm like not so happy with all of it but it it is what it is and so um and then and then it was so it, it gelled the idea kind of was formed i was drawing a page a day and then um people were catching on to it i had a little bit of a following people really liked it um and then i went i took my kid we traveled every summer when my kids were little and 
right, as soon as Theo was like old enough to sort of just like walk on his own and be, we, we traveled. So we did this trip to uh, London and Paris one summer. And then the next summer, as I had been drawing our days, um, we went to Scandinavia. And so when we went to, when, when we went to Scandinavia, I had this plan that I was going to draw every day of the trip. So it was 28 days in Scandinavia and I scanned every page when we got back and I, and I sold it as a collection and it's, you know, sold out and it did really well. And then I ended up doing two more collections and I, because I was a graphic designer, the book was designed to look like my moleskin, the sketchbook I was using. And then I put my signature on it, which is still to this day, you know, like my logo. And, um, and so, you know, it, and then people seem, seem to, and I, I just, I self-published it, but it was just something that I printed and sold and wrapped up. And like, you know, I did a limited series. Each one was signed and numbered. And, um, so, and then I got a call or an email from an agent and it, she, she said, I, you know, I think I had maybe written in a caption or in an interview that I would love to have publish a book, like to have a publisher. Um, and so she said, let's, let's do it. And I like, don't think I answered an email so quickly in my life because <laughs> I got so excited. I mean, I called her right away and we became immediate friends and she's still my agent, my literary agent. And, um, so she was great because she helped me do like a book proposal. Um, I got a really good offer from a few publishers. Um, but then I really just, I ended up choosing 10 speed because I really liked the editor and her idea and vision for the book. And, um, cause you know, there's a lot of like fill in the blank journal books out there and I didn't want that kind of book and draw your day, you know, is a little bit, you know, it's, it, it's an interesting book. Like it's not, it doesn't teach you a practice. doesn't have like exercises for you to do it. You know, it, 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 it's a, it's an interesting book. It's supposed to be just, you know, an inspirational kind of guide. And so a lot of people were like, you know, this, there's some, there's some bad comments on Amazon. Like what is this person's full of herself and she has all the time in the world to do this. And I can't draw like that. How do you do that? Like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of comments like that, but you know, there's obviously a lot of really good feedback, but, um, and, and so I just, it was more like I didn't, I wanted to tell my story and show it as inspiration because I want everybody to do it in their own way. Not, nobody should have a journal that looks just like mine. Mm -hmm. um, there is no rules. There's no rules to it at all. Like, you know, whatever. So, but then I'm going ahead, but uh, then draw your world happen because I realized like, well, I have more to give and I can actually teach more. And so then you know, two years, two and a half years later, Draw Your World came out. But um, yeah, so that's that's the story. Yeah, yeah. So so interesting. Um, like uh, I'm think uh, I'm thinking about Draw Your Day and the idea of, you know, asking people to do that, but also showing them a way to do that because, like, the criticism you speak about, it's such a typical thing because there is this notion around instructional books that makes me a little personally a little uncomfortable the idea that uh, I would tell somebody to draw a certain way 
and right. that I would say this is step one, step two, step four, and then you have a face or you have mm -hmm. a, a human figure. And I feel a little iffy about those books myself. But uh, what you're saying is a book that sort of enables you to do what you want and helps you find what you want. Is is mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah, I think I think that's what I really tried to do more so. I tried to do it with Draw Your Day and I and it is a success, successful book. It's still selling really well. I mean, it's great. I it's I think it speaks to a lot of people and it it's done a really good job of doing what I wanted it to do, you know, um which is inspiring people. But um the Draw Your World was a challenge because it was it was what you're saying. It's like I don't want to teach people how to the right way to draw. There is mm -hmm. no right way. And creative freedom and and breaking all the rules or sort of, you know, learning them to break them kind of thing. Like I do I do have some guidelines in draw your world that are like, okay, well, this is actually a scientific thing perspective that is this is actually what's happening in space and there is a horizon line and there are vanishing points and this is actually so yes like i will show you kind of the, this but like you take it or leave it like i don't know <laughs> i you know it's the same thing with proportions you know there there are ways of like measuring you know right now in my my frame here like how big this wide this table is compared to the height of here like is it the same you can measure you can you know, everything like where, where the bottom of the table falls on my arm, you know, you can, everything has like a measuring point. And if you're looking, you can figure out the proportions of things, but take it or leave it. Like there, that is what's happening. Like the bottom of the table is hitting me right here, but like, I don't know, you know, do what you want with that. So it's a hard thing because it's teaching people, but it's also being like, well, use this or not you know because you you're the artist um and drawing your world can be color it can be line it can be abstract it can be you know torn pages if you're frustrated it can be you know blending lots of materials together and i don't know whatever you know or or you can draw like the most precise accurate scene of what's happening in front of you you know, so yeah, I I think the big challenge here is um, that there is like really communicating that there is no single right way to do this, and right. that you should like I think like it's again it comes back to this idea of permission. Like uh, draw your day begins with a quote by Picasso, which I really like that all children are artists, but uh, and I'm paraphrasing at a certain point they grow up and then they in order to remain artist they have to tap into the child inside them. Mm -hmm. And right. I think about what that means, like, what does it mean that all children are artists and that we need to reconnect with that child in order to become, to to stay artists? What, what does that quote mean to you with respect to what the book was doing? Well, that that quote is so relevant to so much that we've talked about today, you know, because, you know, making art for art's sake, making art for an audience. You know, when you're little, you're just making lines. You're just free. You know, there's no, it's just expression. It's like color and you, you know, you're not, you're not thinking. And it's, it's as soon as you're sitting next to a friend 
who can draw the dog that looks like the dog or that you think is quote better, you know, that's when people are like, I don't do that. I, I give up, you know? Um, and there's, I, I use another, like a children's uh, book as an example in, in Draw Your Draw Your Day, the book by um, Peter Reynolds of The Dot. Um, and the little kid, you know, is frustrated and thinks they can't draw, so does a dot. And then the art, the art teacher puts the dot on the wall behind, behind her. And, you know, cause the dot can be art, you know, what, what, who's to say it's not. And who's to say that it's better than anything else. So it's just, it's tapping into that, like the idea that anything can be art and that, um, that we, you know, we, if we could only be so carefree as we were before we started comparing ourselves, you know? Yeah. I mean, or when we before we like before we entered an, an art museum and saw like the master's work, you know, <laughs> and like think, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I can't do that. I I certainly can't, you know. So that's okay. Yeah. Ha has social media helped this, or has it hindered this? Like sometimes I think it has helped it in the sense that you get to see, like it helped me in the mm -hmm. sense that I saw so much art being made that I loved. And I realized this is doable. Like if I build certain skills, I could draw like that. Like I couldn't make a Rembrandt level of painting. I couldn't paint like Van Gogh maybe, but I can draw like that sketcher. Like I can imagine myself doing that. And that is something uh, to work towards. So it was empowering, but mm -hmm. it can also be really like having access to all the art in the world on your phone can also be very discouraging that... What is there left to do in a sense? Like, what can I possibly contribute to this? What do you think? Like, has it become easier over the decades to become an artist, to use the word art, or has it become harder? Well, I think it stayed the same for me because I've always, I've, I've always been exposed to abstract work and, um, you know, uh, work that is, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's more of it and you're seeing more of it. And so it's really easy to get sucked in. But then I see a lot of artists who, you know, who are so celebrated on, on social media who, you know, are, are just playing with color and line and, you know, and that's sort of like, it's really, it's really empowering to know that like, you don't have to draw, you know, like Rembrandt to to have a to have a purpose as an artist and to have you know to have a goal and to make beautiful things and um so I don't know it I don't think it's really changed it I think it's just sometimes it's just a lot it moves too quickly you don't actually just take something in and stop and look at it everything has to move now it's all in a video I mean it just keeps moving <laughs> faster and faster you know yeah and and like to have a still post is like a rare thing these days, you know, yeah. where you just can like stop and look at it and be like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. You know, there I saw a post, I should share it again. I think I saved it, but have I, I think it's a, um, it, it was a cat. It was a cat like scratching itself. And so, and there, and, and the artist got like the, all the movement in all these different strokes. And it's just the most exquisite thing, you know? And I think I sat and just looked at it. I stopped. It stopped me in my tracks as I was scrolling. And that, you know, it's rare these days. And I just was like, wow, you know? 
I love that. And I wish I could draw like that. And I don't know if I could, you know, it just made me think about all those things. And, um, it's just, you know, it's rare to, um, stop and just look. And so I don't know, I feel like it's, it's, um, that's the problem with it right now for me. It's not that it's, it, it's actually given me like exposure to so many artists I never would have seen before. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for so many aspects of it, obviously for my books and my career and all of that and talking to you right now, all of that, but, um, it's only been really positive. It's, um, it gets me excited. It doesn't really so much do the imposter syndrome thing to me, like a lot of people do, because I do think there's so much celebrated that is not, you know, it's not only about like the perfect celebrity draw and, or, you know, <laughs> you know, there's so much of that on, you know, it's, I mean, anyway, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah like I, I, in, in general, also, we've moved away from the idea of uh, good art only being the technically most proficient yes, art. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like a part of that is also uh, like how were different art uh, movements started? They all started because they faced various kinds of existential crisis. Mm -hmm. So the, the advent of photography meant that suddenly it's not uh, the exclusive domain of the artist to realistically depict the world. Now you have competition from this little thing that anybody can click. Mm -hmm. And it has only become easier to hit that click over the years, mm -hmm. over the decades and over the century that photography has existed. So mm -hmm. artists had to redefine what is what is art for? What is the point of it? If it is not to show you the realistic face of this person who might die in a few years and he's a king and so he matters, but now he'll just get a picture taken instead of mm -hmm. standing for a photo, instead of standing for a painting, what is then the point of art? And so art changes in response to that. And we have all these various movements that come out. Mm -hmm. And um, so you also mentioned that photography is so significant to your life. Um, not only uh, like a, a small part of it is that it helps you collect reference images for your art, mm -hmm. but also just as a way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. So in the context of stopping and looking and paying attention to the little things, how do these things balance for you? What is the uh, role that photography has? What is the role that a sketchbook or a drawing has for you? Yeah, that's interesting because I often will say to myself, I think I, think I just like this as a photograph, you know? I don't this isn't going to work as well as if I draw it. Or sometimes it's the opposite, you know, this is just needs to be drawn. The only reason for this photograph is so I can draw it. So there's, and then there's a lot of in between. Um, and, you know, the photos just sort of live on my phone. Sometimes I share them, but um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, the, there's not always like a, Sometimes I'll I'll see something and I I just want to take a photo of it because the light is so beautiful or 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 you know it the it just caught my eye, um, and so in a way it's sort of like this sketchbook that's on my phone, right? It's like this this secret kind of you know what am I doing with all of these photographs? I mean right. it, it's stress it's a little stressful to me, you know 
when I look at how many photos I have on my phone, <laughs> it's very stressful, but I just keep doing it. So, um, I don't know. Um, there, it, it is, it's a dilemma. I mean, my son got into, to art school because he's a great photographer, but he doesn't want to be a photographer because it's just, it's a hard thing to want to do these things. And so many people are photographers and, you know, Everybody who's seen his work says, you know, well, he has he has a very special eye, and it is and it is you know not something that anybody can do, but you know it's it definitely photography is a tricky thing these days, you know. Um, but I would, I want to go back to what you were saying about how movements and in, in art and you know when when big changes happen when um, you know people are sort of pushed to their limit or to to the wall and I went and I saw um Cezanne's drawings at the MoMA and I really didn't like it and I I I have a very good friend who's worked um as a curator and he he knows so much and he sees absolutely everything he's one of my closest friends and so I called him and I was like I don't know about there's so many drawings and they're not even good I don't understand this and this is you know one of the most famous painters. <laughs> I just didn't get it. And he said how the significance of it was that he was getting, starting abstraction. You know, it wasn't about the accuracy and the, and the preciseness of the drawings. It was where he was going with it and how important these drawings were in the art world to leading towards abstraction. And suddenly it had this whole different meaning to me. And I, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, here I am criticizing when that's the thing that I don't want to ever do because it's not, you know, anyway, it's an, it was, it was a really enlightening kind of moment. And I, um, it's like sometimes work is, has a bigger context that speaks to history and time more so than that, like work itself, you know? Um, so, and I think that we can sort of, take that idea into our own work as well you know yeah um yeah that's so true like uh i'm not an art student and i have only since becoming an and a quote-unquote artist i have started to educate myself on the subject i'm using i'm pursuing whatever my direction my curiosity takes me and part of that was uh this asking myself again and again, how do I get to call myself an artist? I just make some little drawings and using that as an opportunity to think about, okay, what is art? And so I did some, I've done uh, assorted reading from here and there, and I'm halfway through this very interesting book called The, Sh the Shock of the New. Mm -hmm. And it's by this art critic called Robert Hughes. And mm -hmm. it's a really famous book apparently. And he's talking about uh, the shock of the new being the, uh, the, the 20th century mm -hmm. and how it changed art and what art used to be historically before and the, the shock of the new expressions and the new forms. And it made me appreciate how important it is to put art in its historical and socio-cultural context. Like, mm -hmm. so we look at the colors of some paintings and we think how inspired is it that he used these colors, like say Picasso's blue period, et cetera, et cetera. And while a lot of it is artistic inspiration and whatever, whatever artistic reasons, a large part of things is often even logistical. Like 
they didn't have access to a lot of colors like mm-hmm. an entire palette like we have today like i can go into a michael's store and i can buy 64 colors of watercolor 64 tones of watercolors or whatever but you didn't always have these beautifully prepared packs of colors sourced from all over the world you had to actually find colors in some cases they had to make colors and in a lot of cases they had to make do with whatever they had Mm-hmm. so this kind of context and what they are responding to what were they sick of like mm-hmm. i can think sometimes that i'm sick of seeing a certain kind of art and so my work is a response to that but what were they sick of what was their society tired of seeing and what was mm-hmm. it that they were being rebellious about the mm-hmm. idea that i'm not going to exactly show this world and i'm going to be impressionistic is rebellion for a world in which art was supposed to be a certain way like mm-hmm. i was also reading this thing about uh, the dutch golden age which i found so fascinating that in the 16th century am i right or maybe the 1700 or uh, 1600 so the 17th century mm-hmm. um they decided a group of artists started to depict non royal figures so uh paintings would be the adequate the proper subjects of paintings would be royalty aristocracy or the gods but the idea of depicting common life and ordinary people and people who are doing the washing people who are farmers that was not subjects worthy of being made into art and the dutch golden age and a lot of these painters were about flipping this narrative that we are going to paint common people we are going to show you everyday life and we are going to find beauty in that and that was a rebellion against mm-hmm. their previous generations and seen in that light it just put so much work in a whole new uh, sense of value like the the boundaries that they were pushing and to know it it sort of gives me the permission to push boundaries myself this this notion of what is worthy of art what is worthy of being drawn like when you are in front of the cafe of joe's coffee and then you see <laughs> the little dog <laughs> the idea that this can go into a sketchbook and why not and mm-hmm. maybe people will like it and therefore the next time i'm allowed to push myself further with the little ideas i have and the little hesitation i have i can ignore mm-hmm. and that's that's been a really fascinating part of how art is sort of moving today because now it's driven by these likes and mm-hmm. earlier maybe it was driven by more curated spaces like uh could anyone like it was certainly more difficult to be an artist maybe 50 years ago because you had to go through these proper channels in order to be able to share your work with people and now just the the sharing is so democratized that what becomes popular what catches attention and therefore what gets a book deal or what gets a, a you know a gallery space is determined by these democratic forces rather than these i don't know the right word but maybe something like these forces of curation like mm-hmm. authorities on the subject like gallery owners or patrons mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh art art historians who get to decide what has value and get to put it as part of a story part of a narrative and th- now that narrative is almost in a sense torn up because now okay. people are going to see it on instagram and they are going to decide and people all over the world are going to see it in their light in their context so Mm-hmm. a sketchbook drawing with a few words and a quickly scribbled something of the day can have a lot more value to a person's life than the painting of the mona lisa right right 
Well, yeah, because I think that it, the the idea that what we're doing is, you know, they see themselves in it or they can relate to it or it's, you know, so it's so familiar, you know, or celebrating something like the dog outside of the cafe or, you know, you drawing, you know, somebody eating their dinner across from you. Like we all see these things mm-hmm. and the fact that we can draw it. I think people love that and we're like, oh, I want, you know, um, whereas, you know, when it's a painting that's in a gallery that's, you know, $100,000, it's like art becomes like un- unrelatable, unattainable. It's like too, too special, too unreachable. You can't afford it or you're not invited to the gallery or you're not dressed properly or like all the things that made it so, you know, untouchable entry before. Barriers. Yeah. And but for us, we're just, it's so, it's so easy and relatable and like, you know, oh, you can do it too. Just grab a pencil, you know? Um, so, and I don't know, it's, it's an interesting idea to think, you know, how social media has, has helped and not helped the art world is, is a lot. It's a lot. I mean, also just, you know, I don't even know what's happening with NFTs these days, but I remember talking to my friend, the same one who I called about the the drawings that I was just talking about. Um, and he was explaining how NFTs can help um, with, um, you know, uh, an artist who has passed away, whose who's estate is now, you know, limited. Um, there's not a lot of work that's, able to be found and sold um you know so, somehow the nfts can like make their work have a new have have more more like of a, of a life i mean th- mm-hmm. he just told me this whole new way of thinking about it that was fascinating right. you know because all i think about it is just like why i still don't get it you know i refuse to understand it and like <laughs> and it's almost like i'm so stubborn about it because i've tried to understand and then I have I have now like a relative in the family who's making these amazing NFTs and I'm super happy she's doing great with it. I, mean, I still don't get it. It's like, how does this fit into the art world? Who wants to spend money on this stuff, you know? And I just get really frustrated with it. And then he, all of a sudden it was like, wow, oh, that, you know, I still, I can't even repeat kind of how he made it, mm-hmm. sense of it for me, but it finally had like, a, it made sense in a way. Um, and so it's, it's still, you know, still like a ever-changing, evolving thing, the artists and what we do with our work and how it's relatable or how it can sell. But I don't know. Yeah. 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 I, have a, I have a lot of thoughts about NFTs, but I think I'll save them for when we are off the <laughs> air because yeah. I don't think they're processed well enough for me to share on, like share with lots of people. But uh, there are there are there are good use cases, but we are just swamped with a lot of the bad, uh, right. the the bad news and the bad the bad faith actors in the market. And uh, like I think, generally speaking, I it feels to me like the financial market is set up before the art market is set up, and that's mm. a backwards way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And it's being driven by the finances and the potential mm-hmm. of unlimited finances, mm-hmm. and uh that's yeah. not that's it's not it's it's not authentic it's inauthentic 
they're mm-hmm. looking for something that they can fit here which will fulfill the dream of this number going up 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 mm-hmm. and creating endless value uh, right. anyway <laughs> i yeah, won't i won't no. i won't get too far know, into that i know i <laughs> know <laughs> it's 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 a lot yeah it's a lot yeah. to like un, un yeah 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 L- let's go from your first book to your second book now draw mm-hmm. your world how how did mm-hmm. how did how did it change for you how is the book distinct from the first one and what was it like to put it together well it it's very different because i draw your day sort of wrote itself i just had to tell my story and then collect pages that had pretty much already been made um i made it, they wanted about 50% of the content to be new artwork so i did have to stop sharing every day which was super hard for me because I got so addicted to not only making the work every day, but the sharing of it. And so, um, and I didn't have anything else to show my audience. So that was, cause that's, that was the work that I would, anyway, so it was a tricky kind of thing, but, uh, I, I was, um, it wrote itself. I, the artwork was pretty much done. I just scanned all my pages there. A lot of them are behind me. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and and then um, draw. But then when draw your world, you know, we put that together that proposal, and I and I, it was more. It was like okay, I have a lot more I can give, and a lot of people want more from me than just sharing my pages. So it was. It was the purpose was more how to draw your world, and it doesn't have to be in a sketchbook. It can be on anything in any way it's just taking note of what's happening around you and what you decide like we were saying the decisions of what to draw um and the decisions of how to draw it so um so it was it was much more of a gratifying book in a way i i, I shouldn't say that because your first book is always so gratifying. it's like a amazing when you can write a write a book and so that had its own sort of special place in my in my my life but then draw your world was like okay i i can actually do this i can actually be an authority like we were saying before i can actually share my experiences i can actually teach this or that and i can actually write a real book like it's draw your world is more of like a real book book it's not just oh here's what i do and my story you know yeah um now i've had i've had occasion on this show to speak with some people who have self published uh, books of their art and mm-hmm. i think you mentioned that early on you also at least in a small capacity self published something mm-hmm. yep. uh but i'm curious to sort of understand the traditional publishing setup mm-hmm. because it's something that i am also now approaching it's mm-hmm. i it feels to me like the next step i need to take is to have an agent Mm-hmm. and to have a book that is traditionally published with a big publisher mm-hmm. so i'm i'm taking some steps towards it but i have a little bit of experience as an independent uh, with an independently published book that did well for me mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, maybe run me through this this just this process of how it like how does this book go for you from the idea to what it to finally it becoming something like the the back and forths and uh how this idea bounces around and changes and assumes new forms mm-hmm. well it was a different process for each book and then and then i i my most most recent book is the kids book which had its own whole process it was very very different but i i think we 
we can more speak to the two adult books. Well, it's not always the first step, but a great first step is to get an agent. And I was very lucky because she came to me. So I didn't have to sort of search for that and apply for that or ask for that. And and so that, that I have to say is such a gift. I mean, because I don't even know if I would have searched for it or asked for it. (laughs) I always say that draw your day was like the dream that I didn't even know I had kind of thing. Cause I didn't think I could write a book, you know? As we said, as I said, I'm I'm not a writer first, so I I, I was like, oh, somebody else will write it, right? <laughs> I didn't, you know. So it was a weird thing to actually face writing writing a book, but um, the writing of it, and it's a lot of words. I had to write a lot of words, and draw your world was even more words. So that is not um, does not come naturally for me. So. So once I had the agent, it was more, it was like putting together a proposal, which I had never done before. And there's a process to that and a way it should sort of be presented and look. And Laura Lee, my, my literary agent, like helped me through that process. And then she sold it to the publishers. And it was, as I told you, was again, super thankful because it was sort of like a little bit of a, you know, two two publishers really i mean there were three who were interested and they were they were like one was chronicle and then 10 speed and they were like dream pub you know dream publishers so um and um so that the the process was sort of choosing the right editor and the one who had the a vision that was closer to mine and also who had given me a better financial offer so <laughs> so you know that's that's what happened with, you know, choosing 10 speed. And then it was just working with my editor on like how to organize the book and, and how many words and what I should write. And they helped me. They really helped me along the way. So self-publishing would be something I just don't in this way. I just don't think I could have done because I, I don't, I needed somebody, I needed a really good editor. So when you're self-publishing, I guess you hire an editor to work with. I'm not sure how that how that would work. You know, my the books that I quote self-published or whatever you want to call it, I just wrote like a little intro, like the these are the pages of my sketchbook and for 28 days with traveling with my children and and then I signed my name and then it was just pages of my sketchbook. So I didn't write anything, you know. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, that does that answer your question? I mean, and then the second book was even more words and more writing and I just worked with my editor and lo- I love love them. Right. So yeah. so thankful. Uh, yeah. It, it it does answer my question uh and because it's such a good answer, it has given me more questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my my next question is sort of that um when when you're right when you're working with an editor, when you're working with other people and you're putting it together and your motivation comes from you, but uh, the, uh, part of their motivation comes from how they see the finished product selling mm-hmm. to the market and the audience that they have in mind for it. Right. So, um, is is it, uh, like is like is there is there a bit of creative friction here? Like or uh, like I I feel like maybe because you've worked mm-hmm. so much as a graphic designer, you're mm-hmm. already quite acclimated to the idea of making something which has to tick the boxes for a client mm-hmm. and is, is mm-hmm. this also a good way to approach a book well 
that's it's a really good point because especially draw your day and draw your world but we had just established sort of a look and design that carried through to draw your world and it was a different designer working on each but I was given the files to like make edits do they never do that but she they knew that I could do that right and that I work with big in design files and I know how to use all the software and I knew what I was doing so I was I had a lot to do with the design I had a lot of you know say um and we worked really 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 well together like getting getting it to a place that we were all happy with the context of the book like for example draw your day has a very large material section i might not have made it that long because i don't think materials are that important but like we it was a decision that the publisher made you know, the editors and publisher made, I'm not, I'm not criticizing it, but it definitely is like a long section of the book that when, when I really firmly believe, like grab whatever you can, whatever you have. Um, I don't, I don't want to tell people exactly what to use. So that, you know, I, there's a give and take, there's a give and take, you know, and so you just sort of pick your battles and you, you know, but I, I really didn't have that many battles. Like I'm so thankful for everything and I just really listened and um really helped them shape help me shape it and I mean especially draw your both of them both of them are so me you know um the kids book was different that one was I feel like a little just different process different kind of editing and that it was just children's book publishing it's just mm-hmm. a different process um and then my editor left right when the book was coming out, which was not fun, but um, she was great. Um, and she, you know, that, that that it was just a different process. And they, I didn't want to, I didn't feel like I had as much that I could say because she had such strong opinions and kind of was, it's like it needed to be for the kids. This wasn't kid friendly. This was, this needed to be kid friendly. And so it just, I just kind of, I had to let go a little more with that book. Um, and, you know, I'm not not happy with it, but it, it definitely was just a different process. I mean, it's a very different thing when you let go a little. Um, and I, I think that there were some things that were amazing about the decisions that were made that I would have never made that needed to happen because I didn't know. And then, you know, going back to the Gloria Steinem book, I mean, we had a cover that was approved. I illustrated the cover. It told a story. It took forever to get there. They paid me for it. I mean, and then at the last minute, they took the cover away. And I and and they made other decisions, the publisher, because nobody could agree because it was Gloria Steinem. And like they did, it, it's just a whole thing. And sometimes they don't make the right decisions. I don't think that was the right decision you know, whatever. I don't know if, I don't think Gloria did either, but I don't know who's going to listen to the podcast, but like, you know, it's fine. I mean, it's a fine cover. It's just type and, and it just, it's like, goes back to her Miss Magazine days and, you know, it's mm-hmm. fine. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there's sometimes it's like too many opinions and you just have to let go and trust that the universe has the answer that, that it's going to be, it's going to, it's an interesting book. Making these books is 
it's an adventure for everyone, even somebody as big as Gloria Steinem to me, you know. There's there's a bit of there's there's two uh like there's two contrasting thoughts in my mind. So firstly, uh there is the idea that sometimes things are bigger than the sum of their parts and mm-hmm. collaborative work can sometimes become this way. Like I was mm-hmm. I'm thinking also about how you spoke about your drawings uh in juxtaposition with your words. You mm-hmm. need uh the words next to it in order to give the drawing the decoration let's say okay. it needs mm-hmm. like just standing by itself it feels a little incomplete and right. it needed those things around and so the final page is greater than the sum of its parts in mm-hmm. a sense like mm-hmm. once these exactly. elements come together they produce something greater but contrasting that with um, so thinking as a creative in this in this respect is useful because you should trust your vision and you should just uh believe that if i put things together the way i want there is mm-hmm. the possibility that it will be greater than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. and i will have mm-hmm. made something in that sense greater than myself mm-hmm. and i'm contrasting that with the decision by committee which is mm-hmm. that any committee the so the i don't know who said this or maybe i came up with it i can take credit but <laughs> the the collective iq of any group of people is less than the sum of its parts exactly it's so true it's so true and the ego goes in and there's somebody who has thinks they have more of an authority and they make a call and then all the other so true you know and i think it's also it's also how going back to what i was saying that had no segue to anything but i felt like i had to mention it which was like working for yourself and then there's all these committees in like the corporate world so it takes like a week to get anything done that you can do in an hour in your studio and it's like it's just painful sometimes you know yeah yeah and there is this creator's instinct of because you need it like it's part of self preservation to believe that you have the right idea you have to back yourself you can't afford to be the kind of person that doesn't is not bullish about their work or about their you know the vague vision in my mind i have to stick with it because who else like it's my mm-hmm. job to stick with right. it until it until it's done i have to have faith and yeah. that faith is so important but when you're working with other people and this ties into traditional publishing but it also ties into all kinds of creative work uh, mm-hmm. done in this light you have to uh, balance that with the idea that someone else might be correct about like a criticism you have to accept a criticism or you have to go a certain direction even when there is no criticism but simply because you have to tick this box and not that box mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so like the choice of a cover can be so many things which have nothing to do with what is the best cover like it oh, no. has to do with yeah. what what stands like i remember the ty- it's a typographical cover uh, for this book and i feel like at least a part of this decision is that how is it going to look on the bookshelf is it going to pop out at somebody or not compared to other books around it well and and mainly it's it's online on amazon what's going to catch the eye on amazon right, right? right. yeah cuz that's how so many books are sold exactly it was and it what it did come down to the marketing it was like barnes and noble or somebody's apparently who made that call who made them switch it yeah yeah exactly i mean it's an it's really it's it's a shame but it also is like it's just the way that things are sold now and how the attention span of people all that you know all this you know all these reasons that yeah, yeah. 
and there's a sense that as the artist as the creator as the writer any of these roles there is a sense of letting go that you need to have that i have done my part and i have given it all the meaning that i wanted to or could have was able to give it mm-hmm. and now it is in the hands of people who are like just it's beyond my individual control it's it's painful i'm still mourning the death of that cover <laughs> <laughs> i will for the rest of my life i think because oh. it was you know i put so much effort into the cover because it's the thing that people see <laughs> and they were having me do it simultaneously with the inside illustrations. And so I put so much effort into the cover and we got finally got it to a place and like mm-hmm. and then it was like so, you know, it's it was as I as I said, it was the most bittersweet project because of of all these different of all these different things that happened. But I'm so thankful for it and it's great. And I'm inside the book and whatever, but um it's just, uh, it's definitely publishing is hard and there's so many opinions. So I feel like I consider myself super lucky with the way that my adult adult books went. Also the kids book, I, I'm not putting it down. I think it's great. I I just, you know, it was definitely different. So I just, I'm more speaking to, to the other adult books. Um, I, I'm curious to know, like, uh, I've almost pretty much, uh, run out of questions but i'm still curious <laughs> to know what kind of ideas you have for the things you want to do now the things you want to do in the coming year two years three years how do you see yeah. yourself developing as an artist and as a you know a public facing artist mm. i don't have the answer to that i don't really have a vision and i've always sort of liked that I don't, I don't plan a lot. I'm not a new year's resolution person. Uh, I didn't plan for this. I didn't really do a lot of pre-planning when I teach my classes online or whatever. I, I don't really plan because I, I feel like I work better mm-hmm. when I, when I just wing it. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of winging it. I'm seeing what happens, seeing, and I do what feels right, you know? I just want to always be able to do that. And it's a luxury, I have to say. I mean, it's a luxury to be able to be like, you know, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It'll be all right. Um, um, I'm fortunate enough that that I make enough money in certain ways that my rent is paid here in my studio. I know that, you know, with classes and certain things, I I, I know that, that, yeah, my rent, the rent is paid. Um, you know, we saved enough money for our, college funds, things like that. Like mm-hmm. I'm at a point in my life because I'm 49, you know, like I, I, there's been a lot we, we couldn't do, but right now I'm at a point where we can choose. Um, my husband can as well. And it's nice. So um, I just want to do what feels right and what's exciting and what challenges me. I would love to do another book, but I just don't have the answer of what that is yet. Um I love the I love the process of working on a a large project. It gives me like a great purpose, you know, to know that there's like a big project going on. Um, so then the way to do as what we do, a way to have a big project is to write a book. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, I have some ideas, some things I won't share yet, but um, it's yeah. I, um, I don't. I don't. 
but I can't say like, oh, this is my goal and this is my vision for the mm -hmm. next five years. I, don't, mm -hmm. I just don't think that way. It sounds lovely. And I'm <laughs> so glad to have had so much of your time today, Sam, to talk to you about all of these things because I've learned so much. It's been so nice to talk to you. I hope I didn't ramble too much in different ways, but I loved our conversation. So thank you.